You're listening to episode 85 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. Uh, Penny, for your thoughts, friends. I've been thinking about this lately. You know how Cyclops Scott Summers is quite broody? He likes to, you know, kind of meditate over things. Do you think most of the time he spends brooding is over trying to figure out how he can wind up with both Jean Grey and Emma Frost at the same time? No. Yes. I I feel like Cyclops is the kind of character that doesn't really self-reflect like that. So I don't feel like he really would think about it. So what what is he thinking about? His next lay, really. (laughs) So yeah, he's trying to wind up with both Emma and Jean. Uh, I'm going to be 100% honest with you, Phil. As soon as you said penny for your thoughts, I thought you said penne for your thoughts. And that's really all I've been able to think about since you said it. So mm. well, that's a classic Olive Garden train of thought. Yeah, right the three the yeah. three cheese penne. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Available now at Olive Garden. <laughs> what are you just plugging Olive Garden? What the hell is this? He's embraced it. So it's, it's funny because, like the Olive Garden, when Scott is with Gene and Emma, he's family. <laughs> No. I hope that's not and true. And I'm sick of this line of thinking already. Cyclops is self-reflective, number one. And number two, uh, he doesn't want to be with Gene and Emma. And number three, he's dead, so show some respect. He's probably thinking about it in the afterlife, let's be honest here. Oh, my God. All right, well. well. Madeline's, Madeline's dead, right? So, I mean, he's probably with her now. Oh, again. so he's probably working on his re- resurrection then. He's like, clean, how was it? Clean. Clone Jean Grey Puss. I'm into it. Let's do it. Oh, that was <laughs> gross. I didn't like that at all. <laughs> this isn't that kind of show. Is this the this long isn't box? That kind You're going to fucking throw that language around? I'm oh, sorry. I, sh- I, d- I shouldn't have said clean. Kale is a fine southern gentleman, I'll have you know. He doesn't want to hear that type of language. We don't, yeah, we don't do that on this show. That's not, uh, it's not our brand. You take that filthy uh, you shit over long box if you want to hear stuff like that. <laughs> so, uh, it turns, as it turns out, we're liars on this podcast. Uh, you know, in the opening, I always say that we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. Uh, well, we're reviewing comics again this week. Uh, this week we're going to be talking about Man of Steel number two and Justice League number one. Um, and in addition to that, we've got some, Hot fire news to talk to you guys about a little later in the show. Uh, of course, though, before we get into everything, I do want to let you guys know where you can find us. We are on Apple Podcasts. We're a five-star rated show, and you can contribute to that if you'd like. We're on all other podcast hosting platforms, and if we're not, let us know so that we can get on there for you guys. Uh, we are at the Comics Pals, wherever your social media is sold. You can write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com. And last but certainly not least, we're on YouTube, where if you're watching this there, uh, you can leave us a like, drop us a comment, share the video with your friends, and subscribe to the channel. It's free to do, and it helps us out a lot more than it costs you. And you get quality content like uh, watching Phil massage his cat. Cuddles. Cuddles. He's giving him love. Sean, you better not. Hell, I would never. She only has three legs. Aw. Oh, for real? Yeah. Showcase that. Come on. That's high quality. Exploit your animal. That'll get us them cat people views. Come on, dude. Do you want YouTube money or not? Show that cat. (laughs) She she wasn't into it. I tried. She's a moody cat. (laughs) Well, then, I guess we have to move on. Uh, 
So, before we jump into everything, let's do... I got a question for you guys. What's that? Oh, so does that mean it's time No, shut up. Hang on. It's... Hold on. Really? Yes. Really, Kale? Really. Two weeks in a row. Two weeks in a row. (laughs) Two weeks in a row. Because this isn't... Wow, this this show's gotten better. (laughs) This isn't a... This isn't a random question. The segment's called Random Question. Uh, this question was presented on, uh, uh, Marvel's, um, Earth's Mightiest Show. I don't, I don't even, a, a YouTube show, I guess. Um, and this, <laughs> this question. I take re- back what I said immediately. This question really interested me. Because to me, the answer is painfully obvious. But I want you guys to sit with it for just a second. And I, I want to hear your answers. Is Spider-Man a red character? Or is he a blue character? Discuss. Oh, he's a red character. Yeah, red. Yeah, I'd, I'd say red too. Blue. Why, Why do you have to be a contrarian? contrarian. I, think, I think when a lot of people use like a background palette for Spider-Man, it's always blue. Uh-huh. Like I think of Spider-Man Blue, for instance, with Tim, uh, Tim, Tim Sale and, uh, and Jeff Loeb. Um, I think for whatever reason, red is a more aggressive color and blue is more associated with Spider-Man in the same way Superman is. No. I think Spider-Man's a sad boy. Blue is not more associated with Spider-Man. Even though red is the dominating color on his costume, I think blue is more associated with him. No, I I wouldn't agree. Um, I I gotta side with Sean and Marco, of course. Like, whenever they show the, like, the spider, when it's not Spider-Man and they just show the spider... When when it's his logo, it's always red. It's never it's never blue. Uh, Spider Man primarily is associated with the color red. E- everywhere you look, it's red. Superman's logo is never shown to be blue either. However, blue is still the color that is most associated with him. I think that's irrelevant. It's the most prom uh, prominent part of his costume as well, though. You know, and I think like for Spider Man, another thing is like a big symbol for him is just his mask, and his mask is also just red. I can give you that aspect. I can see that, but in terms of the color most associated with him, I think it's still blue because. I think of other versions of Spider-Man, like Spider-Man 2099, and the color that is most overwhelmingly used for the palette is still blue. How are you going to bring up other sense. versions of the character? We're talking about the primary Spider-Man. Is he red or blue? He's red. Even by that, though, by that logic, like I think if you look at a lot of the alternate Peters, they're also in red costumes. Or like the Scarlet Spider, it's a play on red, right? Like it's Red is the dominant color, and that's why Venom was blue. Well, and also... Also, the um, the original design from Steve Ditko was black instead of blue. So mm. that's true. There's been large swaths of the point of, of or large points of time where he didn't even have blue in his costume at all. Listen, like my cat, I don't have a leg to stand on. <laughs> wow. Well, you have three <laughs> legs to stand on. This uh, this conversation went a lot longer than I expected it to. Um, Phil, you're an idiot. It's red. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> that's savage. Uh, yeah, I like that, though. I think that's interesting. Was there a big debate? Apparently, yeah. It went on for two or three weeks. And where was this? Uh, Earth's Mightiest Show. From the Marvel, you know, oh. um, I know Lorraine, I think her name's Lorraine Sink, yes. hosts it. Sure, um, absolutely. Okay, well, uh, kudos to those guys over there for uh, Kale stealing from them. And uh, <laughs> I, just, I just wanted to make sure 
that I wasn't the only person that went, that's a real dumb question, right? It's a real dumb well, listen, question. Man, they, uh, they don't get to be controversial over there, so they have to come up with bits that can stretch for two weeks. And they managed to do that. So clearly they're way better than I am. Because they can, they can pull it off. I like how that started as a dig and then it became like a compliment. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I respect bullshit, you know? I, I, I do. <laughs> I absolutely do. So I respect bullshit artists. <laughs> and actually, I love Lorraine. Um, yeah. So. yeah, she's really, seems like a really nice person. That is a fun show. Uh, so let's jump into the pals polls, starting with Marco. He's pulled out weatherman number one. Uh, weatherman is the story of a weatherman on Mars and he gets, or he is, uh, accused of the mass genocide of, of the destruction of earth. And so he then has to go on the run, uh, and it's become sort of like a, a space comedy, uh, romp. I guess. And, Sounds hilarious. Um, and yeah, so I'm like looking forward to it. <laughs> I, I tell you what, though, he started that uh, sentence and then like got halfway through and I was sold. It's about a weatherman. Eh, all right. On Mars. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's uh, it, it's also written. Uh, it, well, it's, it's going to be colored by Dave Stewart, uh, who is an incredible talent. Um, and it is written by Jody Leup, who did Shirtless Bear Fighter, uh, and oh. drawn by Nathan Fox, who did DMZ, uh, Haunt, and Dark Rain Zodiac. So there's a lot of, like, talent there, and, um, it's just, it's another one of those image books that's a little weird, um, but I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Cool. That's awesome. I'm actually going to cool. be picking that up as well. Yeah. And then you also chose Stellar number one. Yep, so Stellar is the next series by Joseph Keating, uh, who did uh, Shudder. And it's being drawn by Brett Blevins, who did The New Mutants and Sleepwalker. Um, and this one in particular is, appeals to my sci-fi sort of taste. Uh, it's basically a sort of warrior that comes to this planet and is trying to find redemption in something. But in her, in her life but can't and so goes on this sort of hunt for other weapons like herself and tries to kill them. It's a, it's a little tropey, uh, but uh, I, uh, it, it's my sort of, like the sci-fi aspect of it is my sort of like romp. So Marco, going back to the weatherman, I'm sorry, I just have questions still. <clears throat> Do you think like the way he was responsible for the human race going extinct was like just getting a forecast wrong or something? Another news this week, slight chance of rain on Sunday, so stay inside. And of course, that's what leads to extinction somehow. I, I can't help but think about a scenario. He's a Mars weatherman, though, not an Earth weatherman. Keep up, Phil. So they wouldn't be. Like, they to Mars. No, no, no. He, he lives on Mars and he's a weatherman on Mars. And then there's a mass genocide that he gets accused of on Earth. I, I don't know what the connected tissue is between that. I have, I have to read the issue. Okay. All right. R report back to me. Yeah. We'll do. Give you a, 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 a weather on the one. Wait, you go pick it up, asshole. No. <laughs> Phil can't read. If you're that <laughs> intrigued, you should give it a read. Ah. 
Guess not. How about you? How about you report back to me? So from Kale, we've got uh, Nancy Drew number one. Yes. Yeah, so this is uh, the upcoming series from uh, Kelly Thompson, um, done by Dynamite, oh. I believe. Um, I'm very excited about this. Um, teen, uh, teen mystery uh, stories are uh, young Kale's jam, <laughs> and at at you know 14 15 nancy drew was my dream girl the um, adventures of young kale that's right <laughs> um now for most, sexual awakening actually nat, n- nope that's not what i said while reading nancy <laughs> drew it's not what you said it's what i'm implying listeners well, it's, either, it's either read nancy drew or watch the paint dry in the barn i'm kale <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anyway, yeah, very excited about this. Uh, very excited about a, a Nancy Drew brought into the, the modern age. Cool. Uh, that sounds awesome, actually. <laughs> I just love that she was your dream girl. <laughs> Wet dream girl. Hey, man. Hermione was my dream girl, so literally I had dreams about her. So her skin's more smooth than the coat on the bar, and I tell you what. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Like like Sean said a weirder thing than I did. Why can't we jump on him? <laughs> what did I say? Hermione was my I dream I had girl. dreams about Hermione. Sure. Yeah. You probably had dreams about Nancy Drew. No. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't have a did. movie. Yeah, because Kale can't solve that mystery. Oh my God. She didn't have a movie. Of course she had a movie, right? Nancy Drew? Yeah, dog. Did she? She didn't have yeah. In the 90s? Yeah. Oh, it's like sure. the early 2000s. I don't know. Kill's weird. Whatever. Let's move Kill, on. Kill's boxed in the corner. He's trying to claw his way out. That's what's happening. I co-signed that. I co-signed that. Uh, so Kale also chose Kaiju Max season four, number one. Uh, so this is the fourth volume of uh, the the uh, Kaiju Monster uh, prison story. Um, very excited to jump back into this world. Um, I haven't haven't picked up the the volume three yet. But uh, hey, heads up, if you're a kaiju head, that's what we call ourselves, uh, fans of kaiju <laughs> Uh Issue one's coming out this week for the new series, so go pick it up. Is that what you call yourselves? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should go back and put that on vote. <laughs> <laughs> look, right? uh, um, so Phil chose... Infinite Crisis Omnibus hardcover. Now, that book, Infinite Crisis, by uh, Perez and Johns, was my favorite crossover event of that decade, early like early 2000s. Uh, that was some tight-ass shit. It constantly had me wondering what was going to happen next with like the Maxwell Lord shit, what was going on with uh, Wonder Woman, uh, Booster Gold, uh, the Omax. Give me three that more. Book, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not gonna indulge you, G, G head. Batman, Kaiju Superman, head. Wonder Woman. Yeah. Boom. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't hard, Phil. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> it's, it's, it's being re-released here on hardcover omnibus, collecting everything, including the tie-ins. Oh, <clears throat> I'm shit. definitely gonna pick this up at some point. I think it's worth checking out because it's gonna. It should have. It should have the the Ron Thanagar, Thanagar War, uh, the Omac Project, uh, 
This, in conjunction with 52, was a golden period for DC Comics. Instead of picking that up for yourself, you should acknowledge uh, my birthday next Saturday by buying it for me. So I, uh, I expect it. Thank you. Mine's, mine's uh, in three weeks. You can ship it and it'll get here. <laughs> it's also true. Phil, you've got a lot of shopping to do, buddy. Shit. Well, I can't send it to Kale. I might get stuck in a Kiwi storm. I'll take That's that. That's what they call hurricanes down there. That sounds, that sounds delicious. <laughs> yeah, actually, it sounds like a, a flavor of, like, uh, Tropical Punch or whatever. Kiwi yeah. storm. Kiwi storm. <laughs> <laughs> Capri Sun flavor. That's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's oh. just a picture of Kale, like, with sunglasses on and board shorts from the night. Kiwi storm. <laughs> <laughs> His hair has been completely blown back. Like, yeah, super spiked up and yeah, like bl- like bleach blonde. <laughs> oh my god! Uh, Phil, you also chose New Superman Volume Three: The Trade. Yeah, so I've been I've been trade winning this series, so I'm a little behind Pete at this point. But I have Volume One and Volume Two. It is very good. It is one of the best books to come out of the uh, uh, Rebirth era of comics, I think. Uh, and completely under the radar. Uh, as much as many fans as Tomasi's Superman run had, I think uh, I think this was probably the definitive Superman run of 2016, 2017, 2018 so far. Cool. Uh, <clears throat> so from Pete, we've got New Superman and the Justice League of China. Number 24. Yeah. Uh, so, same book that Phil was just talking about. Um, this is actually the last issue, though, unfortunately, um, with 24. The book uh, got canceled um, not too long ago. And, uh, yeah, it's unfortunate that we're going to see this book come to an end because um, I'm definitely in agreement with Phil. I've uh, <clears throat> also been a big fan of it since I found it earlier this year and caught up Um I'm I'm really disappointed to see it go, but uh, you know it's it's a really fantastic book. So if you haven't read it yet, you know the you know the um, fan reaction did let it get at last trade. So you'll be able to pick up the entire thing in volume soon enough. Uh, and both Phil and I would highly recommend it. Twenty four um, issues is a healthy run. Yeah, I mean that's great. Like that's two years. You know, it's like that's a lot longer than a lot of books could hope for, um, especially for a new character that's bearing an old name like that. You know. Um, so yeah, just shout out to the creative team. Uh, Gene, Gene Lun Yang's been the writer for the entire run. He's been doing a great job. And then, uh, for the most recent arc, it's been art by, uh, Matt Santorelli and Brent Peoples. So, um, great work by those guys. Really sad to see the book go, but, uh, glad that we had it at all. Cool. Uh, so, <clears throat> so Kale and I chose Plastic Man number one. Kale, you can speak Ooh, on that. I'm excited for this one too. I, I love Plastic Man. Um, he... Uh, pla- like Plastic Man number one, or or whatever his first appearance was in, was in uh my my storied grandfather's Smithsonian book of comic books, and so like I've I, I you know I, I I early on I got to read like the origin of Plastic Man and and uh, he hasn't changed a bit, um and that's one of the, like Plastic Man is one of the essential Golden Age characters that has lasted through the ages that just uh, makes sense in all context or doesn't Kale and it name, works Kale should name his firstborn eel alright eel ward that sounds dope <laughs> I like it uh, so Gail Simone is coming <laughs> back on this um, I'm very excited 
uh, because she has such a unique sense of humor um, that I I think only really translates to a couple of characters, and uh, Plastic Man is such a good fit. Speaking of Gail Simone, you should watch our interview that Sean did with her. Yep, New York Comic Con. Um, so she's on Domino right now, and it's really good. And so that's a big reason why I'm excited for this. I mean, I love Gail anyway, but uh, I never really, I never read anything where her humor came through the way it has on Domino. And so I'm all in on Plastic Man. Although I have no relationship to the character really at all. Um, and then Phil and I both chose Mr. Miracle number nine. So Phil, you can speak to that. I mean, what can you say? This is, this might be the best book of 2018. Uh, it's phenomenal. It's Tom King at his best. Uh, maybe not at his best, but it's up there. I, it's too, it's too soon to say, uh, I want to see how it, how it lands, but, uh, it's awesome. Uh, we've been reviewing this book. Uh, or have we? I guess we haven't. No, we haven't. No, we haven't. Shit. Well, we should talk about that next week since we talk about comic books now. Don't do that um, because I haven't read it yet. <laughs> that's right. Kale's been trade waiting. Um, I don't know what else there is to say. It's that fantastic tandem of uh, Mitch Gerads and uh, Tom King. Uh, and there's been something strange going on. I have a theory that uh, everything – I mean, I guess it's – I feel like it's kind of obvious, but – I don't think anything that's happening is real. I think uh, everything is uh, artificial reality conjured by Darkseid because there's all these granular, grainy lines in that book uh, suggesting that it's like an old TV show where everything's taking place. Mm-hmm. And it's like it's like blurring the reality of what's real and what's surreal. And I'm really into it. And the last issue uh, yielded the birth of uh, Scott Freeze. Oh, spoilers. Oh, yeah. If you haven't read it, it yielded the birth of a great time for the readers. <laughs> <laughs> nice good, save. Good, good save. Good job. I'm just worried about my man, Kale. I know. You're, I, I was like, just on a, I was on a soapbox. It's good. I'm really into what Tom and Mitch are doing. I think we have three more issues after this. I'm excited. Yeah. I, uh, to echo Phil's sentiment on Tom King, I think it's been, I don't think it's too soon to say for him, but I think with Mitch Garrod's art has been 100% always on point on basically everything he's been doing so far. Yeah, I completely agree. Cool. So uh, let's jump into our our reviews for the week. This week, we're going to be talking a little bit of Justice League number one and Man of Steel number two. So uh, let's jump into Justice League. Kale, what'd you think about this book? Um, man, uh, it's been a, it's been a while since I've been on the edge of my seat in f- with with uh, like a team book like this from the first issue. Um, uh, Snyder hooked me pretty early on. Um, I I really loved the uh, the play between all the the members. I like how they make fun of Batman. Um, I always love that. Um, I love that, uh, at some point, yeah, it's on like the second page. 
there's a senator that's like, uh, oh, well, how do we know all the, the depowered weapons are safe in the Hall of Justice? And they say, they say, uh, and don't say, because I'm Batman. And, like, <laughs> that's one of the things I hate about Batman is just, like, you can explain everything away because, oh, he's Batman. And it's like, yeah, yeah probably. But it's fun to see them, you know, uh, mess around with it. Did, did you have more? <laughs> I could go on. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. The uh, the art in this is incredible. Um, uh, why did I forget his name? Jim Chunk. Jim Chunk. Thank you. Um, he goes between like these, these this this super detailed like um. Specifically, I'm thinking of like the 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 big moon eater beast, uh, to these like conversational uh, panels of just like the you know the seven icons sitting around the the Justice League table, and they those the way those uh, images like uh, stand apart are so unique because you can just see you can see all of it. In both, it, you know, no matter how simple or complicated it is, it's just, it's, it's so good and so unique and, and clear. Um, so I know when we all sort of heard the announcement, we kind of thought, oh, we don't really know what Scott's like on a team book. Uh, how do you guys think he, he's done so far with this issue? Do you think he sort of sold you on his ability to handle the characters? I I haven't read Metal. Um, the o- the only um, experience I really have with Snyder is his horror stuff and uh, some of the early New Fifty Two Batman stuff, and mm. and and just pre Fifty Two Batman stuff. Um, I really enjoyed what he did here. Um, I think uh, he sort of focuses it on the Martian Manhunter. Which, um, for this time in the DC universe, I think he's a really good move. Um, because he's only been around a little. You know, he had a, uh, I think it was a maxi series, uh, in DCU a couple of years ago. And then he. That's right. Yeah. He, like, vanished from the New 52 for a little while and that was annoying he was kind of cyborg kind of replaced him um but i i'm interested to see the the dynamic between those two characters cyborg and and the martian manhunter so i definitely like this issue a lot um it upended a lot of the things that i was worried about when it came to this book and what snyder would do uh, there were some problems. I thought that Snyder didn't give Jim Chung enough room to breathe on some pages. <laughs> there were some stacked pages in terms of panels. And um, that bothered me. And Snyder has a penchant for that. And it's funny because Bendis gets all the cri- criticism for that. But um, I think when you compare it to Man of Steel, uh, there's definitely a lot more breathing room. Uh, especially because to me on a book like this, so much of the showcase is the art because Jim Chung is such a superstar. 
then I would love to just get him get more of him. But there are some really standout panels. Uh, the one in which the I mean, it's no spoiler to say that the Legion of Doom is a part of this. And uh, the one panel where they kind of showcase them is awesome. I really loved it. I thought Cheetah looked great. I thought everybody looked great. I love his Joker. Um, I, I didn't. I didn't yes. know I would love his Joker, but man, I do. That's a he yeah, looks me good. Too, man. Black Manta. They all look awesome, and uh, I think Snyder did a really good job of capturing a team dynamic from the Justice League that I didn't know existed, but that I'm cool with. Uh, it's m- much more playful than I anticipated, and that's fine. Um, and uh, like Kale said, I really enjoyed Martian Manhunter. He's been dead or, or inactive in some way for the majority of my comics reading period. Uh, over the last you know 15 years, I haven't seen a lot of him. So to see him front and center this way has been pretty cool. And uh, I'm excited for more. I think that this is a cool creative team. Although, unfortunately, Jim Chung is leaving the book after issue one and coming back in issue seven. Called it. Uh, so, Kale, you did call it. Um, Hashtag so Kale's right. Yeah, we won't have him for a few issues, but uh, I'm I'm excited to see what Snyder does. This book ends in a really cool way, and uh, I love the Legion of Doom, so I can't wait to see what happens here. How um how did the the stakes of the the uh, the thing coming from the source wall? How did that sit for you? Um, for yeah, I go sorry. Go ahead. Well, so. Manhunter says that he caught, you know, he gets them in, uh, you know, like a telepathic Justice League boardroom or whatever. And he says, okay, we have three minutes to come up with a plan for this source wall incursion. And then they sit around and debate it for what seems like a lot longer than three minutes. <laughs> and yeah. It's sort of just like it it, it, it it seems like whatever they do doesn't work. No, it definitely what they do doesn't work. Um and it just for me it was just like, well why are you doing this? <laughs> why are they uh why do they do why do they make the choice they make? Or Well, why why are they sitting around talking about it? Oh, so for me, it was more like, okay, this could go two ways, and we don't necessarily have a a, a great way to know whether it's going to be good for us or not. And Martian Manhunter believes he has some experience that will help them make a choice. And I actually really love that scene because it puts Martian Manhunter in the, the, the team leader position of, Here's my stage advice. Take it or leave it. Yeah. And they choose to take it. And the outcome of that, I think, is really awesome. And it sets up the future of this book in a way that tells me for sure that I'm going to be interested in what comes. And that's one thing that Snyder does great here. Uh, And it's a Grant Morrison thing of, I'm going to tell you where this is going in some way. And the intrigue is, how do we get there? You know, it's a Jonathan Hickman thing. It's it's one of those things that a lot of really great writers do where it's like, here it is. You know, now how do we get there? And so I'm hooked in because of that. So, so it worked for me. Um, so, yeah, 
Uh, anything more, Kale, on this book? I don't think so. Um, I'm really excited to see uh, where it goes. Um, oh, well, I do have one more question. Do we have any idea what sort of version of the Joker this is? <laughs> Dude, that is that is a great question, and nobody's giving any answers. We don't know which version of the Joker we're seeing anywhere. And there's three Jokers running around right now. There's this one, the one in uh, Doomsday Clock, and the one in Batman. So I don't know if those are three different Jokers. I don't know if they're the same Joker. Doomsday Clock takes place a year in advance. By then, maybe there's just one Joker. No clue. I guess I like I I I, I wonder because to me, the one in Doomsday Clock and the one in 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 Batman seem fairly similar. I would, I guess, I would argue Tom King's is a little more twisted, a little more demented, maybe with the help of Clayman's art for sure. Um, yeah, so I, I guess I was just wondering, sort of, where the Joker was in our continuity. But yeah, so that does uh, that does sort of answer that question. Then nobody knows. Cool. <laughs> no one knows, sadly, and the people who know aren't telling. Uh, so let's let's move on to Man of Steel number two. Uh, so this is the six-part series by Bendis where he's got a different slew of artists every issue. We reviewed the first one last week. We liked it. Didn't necessarily love it. Um, what would you guys think of, of this follow-up? Uh, Pete, why don't you start? Uh, so I think similar to the first issue, I think it was kind of a mixed bag for me. I think I, I feel overall about the same as I did as, as the last one, where I think there are a few moments that I think really work for me. I think Bendis has a, a pretty good handle on Superman's like voice as a character. Um, I thought that interaction with Toy Man was really good, um, where he kind of makes that joke. He's like, you could talk this whole time, and there wasn't even, you didn't have time for one blast, you Superman. Like, I like that he's giving him that kind of dry, you know, kind of wit. And, um, you know, and I think, uh, unfortunately, I, I am kind of aligned with Phil, I think, where the learning a little bit more that, that uh, he's, he's in this romantic kind of, weird situation and we still don't really know what happened is like a little bit I, I would have liked the reveal of this issue I guess you know um, if we are going to go down this road like I'd rather just get there rather than draw it out for the rest of this you know six issue miniseries which is kind of what I'm thinking might be happening um, but I, I think the art was great um, and uh, overall like it was it was solid you know like it, it's it's not like really um blowing my hair back but i'm certainly not like rolling my eyes through it or upset that i'm reading it you know and like i i'm interested to see where it ultimately shakes out um, well, what'd you think oh marco go for it good marco oh, sorry Take the wheel. Uh, um i think uh i agree with with pete i think for me the this issue worked a little bit more it, it sort of uh and i i know we sort of mentioned it last week uh that we were sort of more interested in, or at least Ko, you were more interested in the connection between uh, the the Guardian person and the um, Lord Gandalo, and how they all like sort of tie together with uh, Rogal Czar, uh, and and I think that attracted me a little bit more in this issue. It, it they they tease that out a bit more, um, and with regard to the romantic tension uh, or that that sort of subplot, uh, I kind of like that they're spreading it out over. Over this issue, I, I sort of like those kind of slow burns. Um, I think if they would have revealed what happened 
here it would have it would have uh sort of packed the story a bit um but you know they give us little hints with the uh the new uh woman who's working and sort of like hey what's going on with clark kent and like trying to it almost feels like and at least for me i sort of was in her position because i don't know what's going on i if for me she was my pov character just like what is this what is that what's going on here so uh, i think this issue grounded me a little bit more into it um and with regard to the art i was very excited to see doc shaner on this but in his more stylized uh i was sort of expecting his more stylized approach here he's sort of uh more tame and he's not doing the sort of darwin cook-esque emulation that he that he uh does and i i think is plays much better to his style uh i think here you know his some of his figures uh were a little bit more solid uh in in terms of like not actually having uh, that much range of motion um and then um the transition in between like from doc shaner to fabak was a little like sudden and then going to uh I am forgetting uh, to Steve Rude, who I thought was the who I actually thought was like the weaker artist here. Um, uh, but I mean, overall, I think this was yeah, like like Pete said, it was it was a solid issue. It didn't lay any any uh, it, it it didn't like blow me away, but it it at least grounded me into it and it made me want to be like, hey, okay, this is at least it's interesting and and I'm starting to understand the Phil uh, the like his humor. Like I'm getting it and I'm like, you know, there's like little moments now, especially with the Toy Man bit where I was like, oh, like I, like there's a couple of little moments where I was like, oh, I chuckle that and like, cause I, I'm slowly getting it and I'm slowly acclimating to this character and I'm seeing the appeal, but I don't think it's my kind of appeal. Shout out to Ambush Bug. Yes. <laughs> <clears throat> so I guess my question to everyone is, uh, does uh, Bendis read Grant Morrison comics or something? Uh, yeah, dude. Yeah. Have you who doesn't? Have you not seen Everyone his, reads Graham Morrison. Have you not seen his <laughs> stuff on Instagram? He started working at DC and started reading mountains of DC comics. Like literally mountains of DC comics. Because like Marco had mentioned, shout out to Ambush Bug. And above him was the damn Rubik's Cube from Final Crisis and Multiversity. Oh, is that what that is? And yeah, and there was like that's like that a either. that's from Final Crisis number five where it's like uh, nobody can ever solve this less than eighteen moves or something, um, and that's a really deep pull from Bendis, which I wouldn't expect. Um, the issue was uh, fine. I liked I liked Superman's characterization. Like Pete said, Bendis seems to have his voice. I like that. Uh, still not into Raggle Czar. Uh, the opening scene with uh, the Guardian talking to that uh, the, the Elder or whatever, I thought that was really Bendis. That was like the most Bendis uh, panels so far, and I wasn't into it at all. And and it was, Sean had commented on uh, Snyder dropping word balloons on us in Justice League 1. That was the most uh, exposition-heavy couple of pages in this run so far. Um, so everything with Superman, I'm into, I was into the toy man thing. I know some people, there's a, there's a reputation that Brian Michael Bendis has where he, uh, he has the propensity to disregard and kind of trash D list 
villains for humor and a lot of people don't like that that thing doesn't really bother me and people have been like oh here we go issue one he did it with uh killer moth issue two he's done it with toy man uh i don't care i think both those characters have been like i, th- I thought they were they played well in those two issues uh those 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 scenes um so it's just, it's hit or miss again uh i think the art between what the four artists in this book were all good uh and I liked, I liked Bendis as Superman. Didn't like Rogozar again. I think he's a generic, boring ass villain. We complete with a fucking Lobo bike to end the issue. <laughs> yeah, it's just like come on. <laughs> um, and I'm really curious. What's I, I, I'm okay with the mystery of Lois and Jonathan because it implied that some shenanigans is going on with Ambush Bug, who was created by Keith Giffen. And if you are interested in Keith Giffen, watch the interview I did with him at Philly Wizard World last year. Wow, plugs! Your your energy went from like there to there. Boy, that was uh, a, out that of was nowhere. A, that was a swing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I I. I thought this issue was pretty over, pretty all right. Uh, nothing groundbreaking. I don't think it was as good as the first issue in the sense that I didn't enjoy it as much. But I, I think I got more out of it again than you guys did. I really liked the conversation between Superman and Green Lantern. Um, pre- presenting Superman. Go ahead, Phil. I love that little scene where he's like, oh, I feel bad for being short with him. And like, kind of, yeah. like, that's such a Superman thing where like this little social faux pas would bother him like that. He's a nice boy. And, and yeah. And I liked, I liked like his explanation of it. Like I liked that he was like, Oh, like people let me get away with it. Cause I'm Superman. And like, I really shouldn't be taking advantage of that. Cause like Hal's just trying to be my friend. And like, I could just be honest with him instead of just blowing him off. You know, a very would, human moment. Do you guys remember, the Jerry Seinfeld uh, Superman, like they were like MasterCard commercials or something. Yes. Yeah. There's a uh, a part of it where Patrick Warburton is playing Superman, and he's like, "I just don't like Green Lantern. <laughs> he, always, he always calls and leaves messages, and I just, I don't, I don't want to hang out with you, Green Lantern. Like, no one wants to hang out with you. I, well." I wonder if that's a reference to that. I would be willing to bet it is. <laughs> that part I, I really enjoyed. Uh, I think Bendis has shown yet again that he gets it. I agree with Phil. Toy Man is a goon. Who cares if he gets you know used for a joke? That's not a big deal. That's a character you can always, if you want to make him serious, you could do that at any time. Um I, I, you know, I, I didn't care a lot for the whole conversation that takes place between. I, I don't even know who these characters were on this page right here. I'm showing it for you guys on on audio. Oh yeah, yeah the, I don't even know. I did. They were like in a bar or something. Yeah, in well, the bar. I think the shadow figure is supposed to be um, Lobo ripoff boy. I don't even Lobo remember. Zar, Ragu? Zar, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the other lady is just some random. Bartender, bartender that he apparently has a relationship with. It's like, who can't fucking cares? You know? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't care about that. Also, I don't believe he doesn't. He is now only hearing about Superman. That's ridiculous. <laughs> he's done. He's done a million things in the galaxy. There's no chance. Yeah, he's that super you just famous. Heard about it. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's dumb. Uh, and then I didn't care for him riding on the bike. So. Those things, I was up here with this character, you know, I was really high on him, and now kind of souring a little bit, but uh, 
it really all depends on how we go from this to them being at war with each other. Uh, I But I like the idea of, hey, there's this other Kryptonian that you didn't know about. And I and I want to see more of his reaction. And I wish there were more pages to showcase that, I guess. Um, I think we'll get I, that. Yeah, we, we certainly will. Um, I didn't care, honestly, for the Daily Planet stuff either. That that didn't do a lot for me. Uh, I don't care about a newspaper industry going out of business or newspaper business going out of business. Um, but I also have no connection really to Superman's world in that way. There's probably people like Phil who are bigger fans that care more. But this story has been done to death over the last 40 years. There was a famous run in the 70s where Superman became, became a TV reporter because of the struggling newspaper industry. Like, this has been done. I, I feel like especially in, like, 2018, like, it's a super tired narrative. Like, I feel like the whole, oh, the internet's killing the newspaper. Like, that was a story, like, 12 years ago. You know, in, like... In- <laughs> In, in Action Comics, uh, in, the, in the New 52, Superman was like a blogger trying to make it in the newspaper industry. And, and there was like, this is struggling. He left the Daily Planet to start a Drudge Report-style newspaper oh, yeah. website. Like, yeah. This shit's been done. Yeah, right. And it's like they did that in Spider-Man, too. It's like the Daily Planet became like a website. Or not the Daily Planet. Um, the Daily Bugle. And, you know, it's just like it's 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 been done so many times, even by multiple characters. It's kind of like, oh, fucking K. Like, how is this newspaper even still around if it's really, like, I, that rough, you know? I love the Daily Planet supporting characters. I love Perry White. I love Cat Grant. Uh, I think it's really fun. And an uh, author who really plays with them well is, is, is Jeff Johns. Uh, he plays with the planet cast really well, and like you, Sean, I agree. I think the I, I just don't care about what they're doing with the planet. Uh, what Bendis is doing with the Daily Planet supporting cast right now, which is unfortunate because they're an integral part of the mythos. Well, and the thing is, like last issue, I feel like it was handled fairly well. Like you know, they're all wrapped up in whatever's going on with Lois, but in this issue, it's just Perry freaking out about the internet, and like, who cares? Well, and I think I think that is actually why I said the thing I said before about the whole relationship thing not working for me is because like that scene was the weakest part of the the issue, you know, is like the part where it's just like, oh, like what's going on with Lois? Like this is the real big story. And it's just like, all right, why don't you tell me it then? Hot goss. The the first part of that I thought was handled a lot better than the second part. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm missing semi-famous uh, newspaper reporters going to save the Daily Planet. <laughs> that story. <laughs> Kale, did you did you have more thoughts you wanted to express before we move on? Not particularly. Um, I I found the conversation between um, you know whatever Green Lantern Guardian and the Ice King or whoever the fuck. Um, <laughs> I, I, I found it to be really. I found it to be really interesting. Um, I really um, enjoyed that this Guardian went to bat for um, uh, Ragu Zubert. Um, but, uh, you know, past, past that, New like, eh, the emotion there. Ragu Zubert. The, the emotion there from, from, uh, from the Guardian really um, made it for me, but you know that, that one that one panel where he's just like oh shit like i love that yeah yeah <laughs> um 
yeah the transition between doc shaner and and steve rude was was tough um i feel like they could have found an artist that sort of complements um uh doc shaner a little better but from what i understand shaner had to drop the issue because of uh, a, a family matter so i guess i understand um it's 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 funny just because i think like the the art shifting in this issue like made me realize what a good job they did of it in uh asm 800 last week mm-hmm. like how it was segmented yeah. in all those chapters and it's like oh like it feels clean whereas for this it's it, it's a little jarring like i think like marco said it, it feels sudden and you're just like oh okay did uh did your copies of uh man of steel come with a, a preview of the new teen titan series yeah no. what yeah. the fuck is this shit again <laughs> <laughs> why does uh, every teen titan series now have to start with damien starting a new team like what is yes. going what the fuck is going on and it's the exact it's the exact same as the last guy Oh, actually, it was my... My name's Damien. My name's Damien, and shit's hard right now, but I'm gonna go to Kid Flash and see if I can start up a team. <laughs> it was my copy of Justice League, actually, that... Yeah, like, Justice um, League 2, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what's up with... I don't like. I don't know if you have it right in front of you really fast. What's up with Robin's lips on the, uh, on oh, the cover of the, of the preview? <laughs> I'll just show it for you guys. Yeah, can you hold it up for us? Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you guys can see that all too just well. Look at him, yeah. Just like, Holy whoa, shit. what? It looks like he got a collagen injection. He's doing, he's doing he's the doing duck, duck face. What, what's that thing that kids were doing with like bottles up to our lips to try to puff them oh, out? Oh, yeah, you know yeah, the, the, yeah, the Kylie, Kylie Jenner yep, challenge. That's yeah, the Kylie Jenner challenge. That's what he did. Yeah, Robin looks like he took that, yeah. Uh, so we'll be back to talk more about Man of Steel number three next week. Obviously, you know we're still on the fence, but hanging in there, I think uh, all of us, yeah. right? Everybody, yeah. Like I'm on, I'm, I'm on board. I'm intrigued. Yeah, I want to read more. Interested to see where it goes. Markle's quietness, uh, giving me pause. Why? <laughs> Marco's like, I am obligated to read this book for four more issues, so I will. <laughs> yeah. It's like, all right, it's part of the it, job. It's just, it's just funny to me because I remember when we read the first Bendis thing and talked about it, you were the one who was like, I like this. I'm going to read this book. <laughs> yeah. And then and now I'm just like, I'm tired. The rest of, of us were like, I don't know. <laughs> well, uh, on to something that uh, is probably much better than the issue we just read. Uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse got its official trailer a few days ago and the internet went crazy. Because uh, it looks what fucking amazing. Talk <laughs> like, about it. Dude. I, I mean, okay. When we got that first, like, little glimpse of it, you know, like, the, the first thing I pointed out was just, like, there are those moments of, like, the highly stylized, you know, like, very comic book look to it. And it's just, like, I don't know, man. Like, it, it just looks, like, unlike any other piece of animation that I've ever seen. You know, it has such a visually distinct flavor. Um, and I feel like it's not only doing that, it also feels like it's doing a pretty good job of trying to, like, capture, like, what, like, it has, like, a vibe that feels distinctly comic book, but that also feels distinctly, like, Miles Morales Spider-Man, um, which is, like, that's where you want to live with this thing, and, uh, yeah, I mean, like, 
it looks really cool. Like I'm, I'm extremely excited for this. Like I'm a huge fan of animation. Obviously I'm a huge fan of Spider-Man. Um, you know, and like, I, I just, I, I can't wait for this. Like, I, I think it looks truly exciting. I don't know why, but I thought you were going to say I'm a huge fan of anime instead of animation. Hey. <laughs> um, uh, you can hey, follow question. me on uh, Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Peter Animoto. Mr. Peter. Mr. Peter Animeter. Animeter. So, quick question. Is Peter Parker homeless in this? <laughs> You, you, oh, I, I, you asked that as a joke, but I, I do think there is a, a connection to that. Uh, so at the end of the trailer, we do see uh, Gwen Stacy, right, um, as Spider Gwen or Ghost Spider, whatever the fuck they're calling her now. Um, <laughs> I we in 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 sort of that forest or whatever that they're kind of training in, we do see a a, a Spider Man with sort of baggy pants that it it you know um and what that's obviously the spider-man from the hip-hop universe kale well (laughs) slow down and shut your fucking face i i i think my theory here is that it's it 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 is gonna lean into the spider-verse event so i'm wondering if that might be like the um the uh the indian spider-man like the the spider-man from india yeah what does that have yeah. to do with homelessness? Yeah. Well, he's wearing he's wearing that Spider-Man wears kind of those baggy sort of um I, it is a style of pants that kind of like Aladdin wears. Because I think he's homeless? No, I think well, no, harem. because they're baggy Counselor, sort of. Do you think that pants. baggy pants conveys homelessness? <laughs> I I mean they are a di- kind of a dirty color. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> I mean they are. Oh no! I'm uncomfortable. Oh that, no! That sounds so bad. <laughs> Listen. Oh man, I love it. You guys Kale push me there again, you fuckers. Uh, moving on out of what Kale just said, how cool is Ultimate Green Goblin? Huh? He looked big and fierce. <laughs> like he could eat a Spider-Man even. Uh, Jake, Definitely didn't look homeless. Jake Johnson, though, as like an older sort of disheveled Spider-Man, is the perfect choice. Yeah, uh, he's the homeless one. No, he's not the well, homeless yeah. one, you piece of shit. Uh he might be the homeless one. Uh he's the he's the sort of uh uh lackadaisical character from uh, New Girl. Yeah, I was going to say I can't like hear his voice and not think of uh the character's name is Nick from yeah. New Girl, but yeah. I, it's it's a good fit. Like I feel like it's a thing you'll get we'll get over real quick. <laughs> I actually felt like he was the weakest part of the trailer. Um I he just I didn't like his voice I didn't like his presentation I was bothered by that um, it just didn't feel like Peter Parker to me it felt like um, felt like uh, I don't know Peter Peter would have more I don't know he would take someone under his wing and he would he would really try to help them in a real way this guy felt like a goon kind of like. I don't know. I just didn't. He I just didn't like him. You mean he? Listen, he he's been living on the street for so long, like he has. <laughs> you mean he felt like someone who started up a, a giant scientific laboratory and then lost everything and then went into uh, a different dimension to fight other spider people? 
No, uh, he felt like the kind of guy. Well, that's Spider Man. Not- I just described that exact Spider Man. So you don't know Spider Man. Get out of here. You're fired. Go on. Okay. Uh, so how many issues of the uh, of the Dan Slott Spider Man series did you read, Kale? Two hundred and six. Two hundred six. Marco said. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> on that note. Uh, I thought this trailer was very fresh. This looks like it's going to be a fantastic movie. To be honest, it might even be one of the best Spider-Man movies ever, especially in recent memory. Uh, I think that the fact that it includes Miles Morales and Gwen Stacy, two of the most popular characters in the Spider-Man world, uh, speaks really well to Sony knowing their target audience with this project uh the humor was so on point um the dad yeah oh my god the moments with the dad are the best (laughs) yeah uh absolutely and uh it looks like it's gonna be really fleshed out i mean there are several characters i think we saw the prowler right um yeah which would make sense That's that's miles uncle in the ultimate universe so yeah um and so there's just a lot going on and this is more of a of a fully realized concept than I thought based on what I had read and based on the initial teaser I didn't get that great of an impression I thought the the visuals were great but nothing else really stuck out to me this time around getting more story more characters I'm all in on this I think it looks brilliant and I'm I'm impressed by Sony I can't believe this is a Sony project yeah, Listen, you saw um, the Venom trailer. You know what they're capable of. Uh, well, you know, can you're we, right. That's a good point. Can we talk about Can we talk about Spider Man one time and just let me enjoy it just once? Um, <laughs> just one time would be really great, Phil. Uh, so, Sean, I'm really I'm really glad to hear that you've come around on it because I remember when we saw the first trailer. Um, I think the rest of us were pretty high on it, and you were like lukewarm. So I'm glad that that this one won you over. Yeah, well, the thing that was most impressive was the visuals because Kale and I both referenced the uh, MTV Spider-Man series sure. that, we, that we really liked, and it gave me those vibes. It gave me those vibes heavy this time too. Uh, but again, they hit us with the story, and this was this was awesome. Yeah, and I, I'm sure I said this last time, but this this feels like what the MTV Spider-Man wishes it could be. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's that's a pretty good comparison. Um, so I I uh, do you remember what when's the release date on this thing? Uh, it is coming out. It, all they all we know is this Christmas, I believe. Is all okay, so December. Um, that's awesome. I'm so excited for that fucking movie, man. Yeah. Hope it pans out. Yeah, keep going, Sony. You're on a roll. Now all we need is that silver and black to get stop, a good stop, you guys. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> Right? Oh, man. God. I mean, we do have Morbius coming, so. Morbius? I, I could do with a blade? Oh, well, that's Marvel now. All right, well, they, they, they've got they've got How options. Hobgoblin movie? Oh. God. Marco, you're my only friend left. Craven the Hunter I would watch. Ooh. Oh, I'd be down for that one, actually. <laughs> Stop! <laughs> Stop! Lots of ways this could play. You're tearing me apart. <laughs> what what would a kingpin movie be like, Phil? I believe. I bet it would lack a movie vision about the kingpin. 
would not lack vision. <laughs> oh, man. Love it. Love it. <clears throat> All right. So, uh, moving on, it appears that the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers are getting their Old Man Logan story. Uh, very, very soon, in fact. Uh, because Amazon Germany features a listing for Mighty Morphin Power Rangers Soul of the Dragon. Which is going to be a graphic novel with the following plot synopsis. It's the last Morphin time. As a young adult, Tommy Oliver set upon a journey that would inspire hundreds of Power Rangers that would come afterwards. Thwarting evils like Empress Rita Repulsa, Lord Zed, and King Mondo of the Machine Empire. <laughs> King now, Mondo! I love King Mondo. Yeah, does. Now, Tommy's retired with Catherine and leaves protecting the world to Space Patrol Delta, including his son, JJ. But when Jake disappears, presumed dead after an undercover mission goes wrong, Tommy will call on all his training, his friends, and maybe even some of his enemies as he sets out on one last mission. Find his son and bring him home. So that's that sounds really cool. Again, it gives me that old man Logan, Spider-Man reign, that last that last story kind of vibe. Uh, and I think Tommy Oliver being the premier Power Ranger, this makes perfect sense to do this with him. Um, Kyle Higgins apparently is going to be the writer on this deal. Nice. Which is awesome because he's been the driving force behind the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers this entire time. And apparently it's going to come out on September 25th. So uh, this is really cool. Kale, you're the resident Power Rangers guy. What do you think? Uh, I wouldn't say this is necessarily something I needed or uh, even necessarily wanted. Um, mm -hmm. I often find that Tommy Oliver is kind of the Batman of the Power Rangers. You know, he can just walk around and go, I'm the Green Ranger. And, you know, uh, whatever he says happens. Um, but given sort of the the resurgence of the Power Rangers and 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 what's been going on uh I I think this this is a really good time for this and I think um it's it's an angle with the Power Rangers that we haven't seen uh the closest to it I would say would be pink uh when Kimberly is sort of she sort of it's I think it's maybe a year or two outside of the um, regular Power Rangers continuity. She sort of comes back and has to rescue her family from uh, Goldar and, uh, you know, so on and so forth. And they introduce a couple of new Power Rangers and, and, and uh, new uniforms and stuff. But, yeah, I, I, I think this, this could be cool. Um, and uh, I, I'm excited to see what happens and see where it goes. It uh it kind of reminds me of that um do you guys remember that uh that YouTube thing that came out a couple years ago by Adi Shankar that was yeah. like the yeah. <clears throat> like dark you know gritty Power Rangers angle reboot it's like it kind of sounds like that I'm sure it won't be that quite that like dark but um I don't know like I always felt like the Power Rangers would do really well with something like that you know because like there is that um nostalgia that everybody from the 90s has for it but I also feel like it's one of those series that when you deconstruct it a little bit, it's like, these are aliens creating, like, child soldiers kind of <laughs> deal. You know, it's like, it's totally prime for, like, that kind of story because there's, it's all about, like, personal relationships and a little bit of drama. And it's like, I don't know, it could be fun, you know? Do you, I mean, do you guys see that Hasbro is talking about doing the the sequel to the 
2017 movie. Really? Yeah, no. they're saying huh. they're they're saying they're probably gonna go ahead with it. That's surprising. I'm, I had fun when, with that. When, I'm cool with when it. When you were talking, when you were talking about dark, gritty Power Rangers, I was picturing a Christopher Nolan version of the Power Rangers franchise. Opens with an old Tommy Oliver, and he's just like, "I'm getting too old for this shit." <laughs> I mean, if if um, this book doesn't open that way, it'll be a crime. <laughs> So, uh, we've got some 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 sad news to report. Uh, DC Entertainment President Diane Nelson is leaving Warner Brothers after 22 years with the company. Wow. So, we talked about the fact that she was uh, on leave uh, back in March. Um, there were some family-related issues that she was tending to. Um and uh, according to the Hollywood Reporter, though, she told Kevin Sujihara that she wasn't going to come back. And he's, of course, the Warner Brothers CEO. Um, <clears throat> and then he re- relayed the message to the company, which then, of course, everyone else found out about it on Wednesday. And he had the following statement. Diane has been a friend and colleague as well as a valued member of the Warner Brothers family for more than 20 years throughout her tenure. Her leadership and contributions have helped shape the way the studio operates today, and we're better for having had her on our team. While we're sad she'll be leaving us, we completely respect and support her decision. Whatever her next chapter holds, I know she'll make it amazing. Uh, Now, my thing is this. We saw how the situation with Zack Snyder played out, right? Where they said, hey... He's got this family, well, it was a very real family emergency um, that required him to step down from his role as director of Justice League. We have since learned that that was not the reason that he left that project. He was actually relieved from that project, and they used the story of what happened with his family as a scapegoat so that they didn't get the negative press. Diane Nelson has been the president of DC for a while. She's overseen some of these really bad movies that have come out. I'm wondering if this is not a similar situation to the Zack Snyder deal. I, but I, w- I would also argue she's also been part of the really, really good ones. Sure, absolutely. Um, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't think so. Uh, to me, it doesn't seem like that sort of thing. Um, I don't think you just let go of someone for 22, you know, after 22 years, especially not when she's the president, you know? Um, whereas Zack Snyder, She's the I president think, of all of DC Entertainment, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, Zack Snyder, I think, was doing, you know, uh, while it was one big job holding you know being sort of in charge of several other jobs he was kind of doing a one-off job for them you know um i i i don't you know unless something comes out um i don't see this being that way it, <clears throat> to me it depends it depends on the dominoes fall here if we see some real shit like more shuffling of the dc entertainment side of things uh, up top over the next few months to a year, then there's probably something to it. Uh, however, I think if like Jim Lee and Dan DeDio or Jeff Johns kind of relatively stay in place, 
and it was probably a personal decision to move on with her career and do something else. This might have just been a career stepping stone for her. Obviously, 22 years is a long time, but maybe she has her eyes on something else now. Another opportunity came along, perhaps. Who knows? It's, it's a little too soon to speculate, I think. I am hopeful that you're right, Kale, because Diane Nelson has been a part of the 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 resurgence, you know, in a lot of ways. Yeah, right. Um, and she helped drive that ship, and I think that her voice was an important voice to what they were doing. And so I don't know what they look like without her. But, uh, you know, she, look, hats off. 22 years, long time. She she put her time in. You can't really argue with a body of work that large. And um, go ahead. I was going to say, I think to Phil's point, um, just to build off something that you had said, Sean, like where they are without her, it, I mean, she's been there for so long and put – so many people in place that like you have to think that ideally um, the machine is well oiled enough that it, it continues on without her, you know Um, that she's, you know, done such a good job of leading DC that, um, you know, ideally as long as someone doesn't come up, come in and and fucking punt the ball in the wrong direction, that it's going to keep going because she has put the right people in place, you know, everywhere else where there is leadership, um, so I think as long as we don't see a major shakeup, ideally somebody else who matches their vision can come in and and just keep things going, you know, and ideally breathe some fresh air in, into the situation. I have a new theory. <clears throat> I think this might have been a side effect uh-huh. of dark magic. Oh, and I think this mm-hmm. is a grand move of Alan Moore taking over DC Entertainment. It's a stretch. Theory. But I can see it. <laughs> and I think he's got to drive the company into the ground because he's bitter, angry, and has a lot of dark magic at his disposal. His snake god is very powerful. Now, I did some rough math, and 22 years would have put her at 1996, roughly, give or take. Seems a little late to me. <laughs> uh, if if just to poke a hole in your theory, just I I just I just want to make sure that you're thinking clearly. Um, it seems like he would be aiming it at the wrong people. Hmm. I don't know how long he's been planning this for, though. Fair. You know, back then, uh, you know, snake, dark snake god magic came. It was, it was kind of like dial-up, you know. <laughs> There's been a lot of advancements in snake god magic technology over just, the last. His yeah, magic two modem years. wasn't as good back then. Yeah. I, I before we exit this uh, this segment, I did want to leave with uh, Nelson's own statement on her exit. She had the following to say, Warner Brothers has been my home for over 20 years with a wide variety of incredible professional experiences. The last nine, rebuilding and managing DC Entertainment, have been a particular highlight and privilege. With the support and talents of our staff and creators, I am proud to leave DC even stronger than when I joined it. I will miss everyone, particularly my executive management team, without whom none of our achievements could have been realized. And I am excited to take on my next professional adventure. So there you go. Kudos. Yeah. Now, thanks for the years of service. Uh, so, in in uh, very different news, 
we learned this week that Jared Leto is getting a Joker solo movie. Hold on. Did we learn that? <laughs> That's been talked about for a while. Did did we learn that? Now, or is this the confirmation? Wait, okay, are we some so, kind of Suicide Squad? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Good uh, Lord. So, so the announcement that we got a few months back was that there was going to be a Joker solo movie that was going to be an origin movie. Uh-huh. Uh, and that this movie that we're now talking about was rumored as well. Okay. Uh, so this is now the official statement. Because also the other thing was that Jared Leto was even saying he didn't know if there was going to be a movie with him in it, uh, a solo movie. So now this is the, the, the confirmation of that. Uh, this is coming from Variety. They're saying that Jared Leto is, quote, set to star an exec produce an untitled standalone film paving the way for future movies branching from Suicide Squad. You know what? This is different from Margot Robbie's disturbing Harley Quinn rom-com movie, which Jared Leto is rumored to be involved with, and the Batman currently in development. You know what? Fuck it. Let's do a Joker-Jurassic World crossover. The world's stupid anyway. Let's fucking do the stupidest shit. <laughs> the world is stupid anyway. <laughs> the internet's reaction to this announcement was not... Uh, Super positive. Kind. It's yeah because it's <laughs> fucking dumb. <laughs> yeah, like, whoa, 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 hold on, hold on a second. One, Jared Leto is a talent and an Oscar darling. He and is two, a talent. <laughs> and two, uh, Harley Quinn's daddy is a monster. <laughs> that was it. Didn't see that coming. My hot take. Nope. That is all. No, I mean, listen, Jared Leto's Joker. In terms of his performance, wasn't bad. His performance was okay. Uh, what he was given to work with was awful. Garbage. Yeah. Uh, Damaged, one might say. <laughs> nobody was looking for this version of the Joker. No one had the idea, uh, oh man, it'd be great if Joker had tattoos on his face. Or like and- a grill. Or a grill, and <laughs> that's the worst part. You like, know, nobody was looking for that, and that is what they're gonna continue with. How do you get away from that? You can't make a sequel. I mean, well, the Joker's malleable enough that you, I guess there are some ways. How do you get rid of the face tattoos? I How hope, do you pick it from that? I don't know, but I hope they do. Cut off I his really face. I really hope they do. Cut yeah, off his face. Cut off his face. That's it. Oh, and do it in the comics, guys. I read, yeah. I read comics. It turns out there are three Jokers in a cinematic universe. And they're Mark. all Jared Leto. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, you know what? I'd watch that. <laughs> so we meet I read, at last. I, <laughs> I read someone on Twitter said, and I don't I don't know who they were. I read they they said the only way this is a good idea is if the movie begins with him falling into a vat of acid, uh, getting rid of all the tattoos on his body, so that we may start fresh. And actually becoming and the Joker. I'm in line with that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm in line with that. I feel bad for his poor co-stars who are going to get mailed, you know, used condoms and deer carcasses and 
What? Yeah, yeah Leonardo Leonardo did some crazy ass shit on the set of Suicide Squad because of how method he was. Yeah. Oh. You say eccentric, I say sounds like a fucking douchebag. <laughs> he's what do you mean, man? he's the exact problem I have with method actors. I knew that was coming, you son of a bitch. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> this fucking actor. <laughs> I mean, like, oh, look, man. man, I'm sorry, but I'm with Will Smith on this one. Like, I don't feel like there's any reason to mail your your co-stars dead animals. That seems like yeah, you're you're, you're crossing a line. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say uh, you were with Will Smith and thinking and asking the question of whether or not this was a suicide. <laughs> <laughs> Today we are all dead little monsters. Oh. No, that is inaccurate. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, Sean's the daddy. <laughs> <laughs> the show is canceled. It is not that, that type of show. Well with me. I don't like that at all. Yeah, I'm with you, Kale. <laughs> uh, like, I didn't agree. I didn't agree to you being my daddy. <laughs> I take what I want. It's not a matter of your agreeing. Can we move on? That went too far, even for me. Okay. Instead, let's talk about something good. Uh. DC has announced that they're relaunching Vertigo. Yes. With that announcement, there are seven titles that they are uh, teasing. Uh, So it's the 25th anniversary, and Vertigo is going to relaunch this fall. Uh, As I said, seven comic book series, um, original stories, and they're going to be, they're all basically about very hot button topics. Um, from some well-known talents and also some talents who are not necessarily uh, from comics. So uh, Mark Doyle, who has stepped into the position of DC Vertigo executive editor, uh, had the following to say. It's time to rebuild DC Vertigo. We're returning to our roots by spotlighting the most exciting new voices in comics, as well as bringing new voices to comics. From the corners of television, games, music, activism, podcasting, comics, and more, all of our creators are passionate and have something to say. These sophisticated stories have amazing new new characters and vast worlds to explore. That's what it has always been about for me. New stories, new voices, new possibilities. We're creating a new generation of DC Vertigo classics for readers of all genres. So I'm going to get us through some of these books and you guys just let us let me know what you think. Uh, Border Town by Eric M. Esquivel and Ramon Villalobos. Villalobos. He's oh, good. Is that how you say that one? Yeah, he's good. Yeah, he's very good. Right. He's why I'm excited about this one. Same. Uh, so the 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 tagline here is when a crack in the border between worlds releases an army of monsters from Mexican folklore into the small town of Devil's Fork, nice. Arizona, the residents blame the ensuing weirdness, the shared nightmares, the otherworldly radio transmissions, the mysterious goat mutilations on god dang illegals. With racial tension tension supernaturally charged. It's up to new kid in town, Frank Dominguez, and a motley crew of high school misfits to discover what's really going on. Shit, I had a very similar idea to this a few years ago. Should have sold it to DC. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah, well, he said podcasters. (laughs) (laughs) So what does that mean? Uh, uh, I'm into it. Sounds awesome. 
Cool. Any other <laughs> thoughts? Uh, he's an artist that is super stylized. He has like those little squiggly, oh, not necessarily squiggly lines, kind of like Frank Wiley, but he has that sort of uh, just detail on bodies. Uh, he's really he's he's just he's he's a really good artist, and this was one of those uh, creative teams that piqued my interest. And the story too, it's like a horror focus. Ramon Villalobos has a, a style that's like Frank Quitely and Paul Pope sort of yeah, yeah, mixed yeah. together. Yeah. Oh man. It's very good. Yeah. <clears throat> um yeah, I mean I think this is really cool. I, I always like um I, I like that like comics are a medium where you can explore like serious topics through weird elevator pitches, you know? Um I feel like that's like this is a great example of a, of a story that could probably only be told first, at least in a comic. Um, and uh, the idea of like including Mexican folklore into it as as the way to kind of like thread that narrative tissue between uh, monsters from Mexican folklore as a way to kind as like a connective tissue between um, as a way to talk about like real world issues with also like having that kind of monster horror element. And the fact that like the people who are the ones tasked to charge it are like kids is all right, great. Yeah, I'm in. Well, and I think it, it also just helps to sort of shine a light on the fact that, you know, that the, the the South is very much, uh, or not the South, but like the along the border, there are a lot of Hispanics, and there are a lot of that culture permeate, permeates in the U.S. and it, sh- it it can be a focus, and it should be. It, it, it's kind of like a Stranger Things aspect too. I feel like with like the kids discovering something supernatural. Yeah, yeah. I didn't care about this at all, to be honest. Uh, this, what this? Yeah, I I I audibly laughed out loud when I read this just because it came off as super cheesy. Um, it could be good. I don't know the creative team involved, but it just it's just like super, I don't know, on I mean, the nose. And, uh, uh, they, they are like, like Eric Esquivel, I guess. He's another, I'm assuming, Spanish writer. I don't know him. So I'm glad they are bringing that to sort of like make it a little bit more authentic, I feel. So I think it'll translate a bit better. It's possible. So next up, we have Hex Wives by Ben Blacker and Mirka Andolfo. I love that title. And the, uh, <laughs> the uh, tagline is, The women are too powerful. They must be tamed. A malevolent conspiracy of men brainwashes a coven of witches to be subservient suburban housewives. But it's only a matter of time before the women remember their power. So uh, this series is by uh, Ben Blacker who is uh, a writer I really, really admire. He did uh, a, a, a stage show called The Thrilling Adventure Hour, which uh, he did with uh, his, his oh. writing partner, Ben Acker. Um, this, so this is... He, they, they have a lot of experience with like the, the Star Wars comics, and they did uh, Deadpool, and I think they did uh, uh, one of the uh, Wolverine origin comics not that long ago. Uh, but this, so this is the first book Ben Blacker has done without Acker in like 15 years. Um, and I'm very excited. Um, I, I love their style of writing and I'm, I'm very excited to see what Blacker will bring to the table, um, by himself. 
Acker and Blacker wrote a Star Wars comic book that I really liked. Um, I think I believe it was called The Storms of Crate. Yeah, uh, it was the Last Jedi, the Last Jedi yeah. sort of follow up or tie in. tie in. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was really good. I think this is a an interesting premise. Definitely something I could see myself watching. Um, or rather reading. I said watching because in the same moment I was thinking, wow, this would make a pretty cool television show. Uh, it gives me charmed vibes. They they wrote on Supernatural for a while too. So yeah, that oh. makes total sense. It, it also cool. kind of sounds like um, like Stepford Wivesy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the next up is American Carnage by Brian Hill and Leandro Fernandez. Dude, this one you're pumped for. Yes. Yeah. In this thrilling crime saga, disgraced FBI agent Richard Wright, who is biracial but can pass for white, goes undercover in a white supremacist group believed to be responsible for the death of a fellow agent. Uh, I want to add just a slight bit of context because a lot of people were saying, you know, Brian Hill, how could you write a story like this? Why would you want to even do this? And Hill said um, on Twitter that he actually did this in some ways. He um, he actually has spoken to a lot of um, individuals who are involved in white supremacist groups, racist individuals who he's come across, and that he's learned a lot about that worldview and that mentality and that that's informed this story big time so like marco i'm also very intrigued by this brian hill shocked me with the hong kong fui uh black lightning special it was mind-blowingly good i felt and it showed me his talents in addition to postal which i'm a huge fan of yeah so i can't wait for this i was gonna bring postal up because he actually did a storyline with a white supremacist and like he did the research for it he went back to like his hometown where he grew up and sort of spoke yeah he like he would go door to door and speak to these people and speak to supremacists and speak to clans members and be like hey like i need your perspective on this and i want to write about this um and then alondra fernandez is like he's he's really good he was on uh oh man uh no wait that's leonardo i think but anyway he's he's another really good artist and um brian hill is very much in that sort of crime he does a lot of that crime narrative stuff, and I think this is very much in his wheelhouse. That said, there's a book, and I'm forgetting what it is, that has a similar premise. Uh, Incog- there it is. Uh, I haven't read it, but but it, it, it has those beats. The art and the premise of this reminds it, it has a, a very Brubaker feel to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought mm. that too. <clears throat> yeah, I could see that. And I, I, sh- I should also point out that the colors are being done by Dean White, who is one of the greatest colorists of all time. Uh, so very cool to see him on this project. Next up is Goddess Mode by Zoe Quinn and Robbie Rodriguez. In a near future where cool. all of humanity's needs are administered by a godlike AI, it's one one young woman's horrible job to do tech support on it. But when Cassandra <laughs> finds herself violently drawn into a hidden and deadly digital world beneath our own, she discovers a group of superpowered women and horrific monsters locked into a secret war for the cheat codes to reality. Uh, Pete, is this one of the women sort of at the center of the, the gamer gate bullshit? Zoe Quinn. 
So yeah, just uh, yeah, you're you're right on that one. And um, to answer your question, yeah, this is Zoe Quinn. Um, this is the 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 person in question. She was the uh, developer of um, Depression Quest, and then she was she was the initial person with the whole blog post that sparked the whole GamerGate uh, controversy. So you can imagine that this is going to get just a just a ton of love, ton of love. Yeah, yeah, it it was super familiar to me too, and. If that's true, then this book makes a lot of fucking sense. <laughs> um, I've heard of Robbie Rodriguez. Uh, Robbie Rodriguez and Rico Renzi were, I believe, on uh, Spider Gwen. Believe, believe me, I've seen a ton of people on the internet saying all these books are SJW. Yeah, of course. Fuck off. Well, I mean, I mean, this book will be the the pilot for that, like. It'll yeah. be it'll be yeah. the number one thing they burn. Guys, it's about ethics in comics journalism, okay? <laughs> so the next up is High Level by Rob Sheridan and Barnaby Begenda. Hey, hey. Hundreds oh. of years after the world ended and human society was rebuilt from scratch, a self-interested smuggler with a price on her head is forced to traverse a new continent of danger and mystery to deliver a child messiah to high level, a mythical city at the top of the world from which no one has ever returned. You know I fuck with that Omega Men art. Okay. Yeah, that's what I was yeah. gonna ask. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hell yeah. I was gonna say this is this is uh probably the only other one that I'm really, really interested in. Really? Uh, I love the premise. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it it sounds like a good setup for just like I don't know. I, I'm a big fan of that um kind of adult protecting a child on like a grand adventure kind of like you know it's it's a it's a clean trope that like i think presents it's a lot of opportunities for um very human moments you know it's always fun when a a, a well-written uh, adult character gets to play off a child i like that a lot of these books are female led um at least in you know in uh, plot wise mhm so then there's Safe Sex by Tina Horn and Mike Dowling, a dystopian sci-fi thriller about a ragtag team of sex workers fighting for the freedom to love in a world where sexual pleasure is monitored, regulated, and policed by the government. Boy, that sounds that sounds pertinent. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the uh, the one to me that like screamed out the most. Like, well, this is very topical. <laughs> yeah, uh, didn't do much for me. Second coming. Oh, sorry, Kale. Go for it, man. Uh, well, I was just going to say, yeah, I, I sort of feel the same way. I know uh, Mike Dowling uh, did a book with a creator called Monty Nero. Um, that book was called something Death Sentence. Um, and the I, the polite things I have to say about that book is the art is the best part. So... Um, yeah, I mean this this will will at least have good art. Very polite. <laughs> she Very she's polite. the uh, she's the host and producer of Why Are People Into That, which is like sort of a a kink and queer sex podcast. Oh shit! Oh um, okay. So, All right. So it probably will be good. Yeah, it's up <laughs> very much so up her alley. Yeah. So, last but not least, we've got Second Coming by Mark Russell yes. and Richard Pace. God sends Jesus to Earth in hopes that he will learn the family trade from Sunman, an all-powerful superhero, who is like the varsity quarterback son God never had. 
But upon his return to Earth, Christ is appalled to discover what has become of his gospel and vows to set yes. the record right. This I'm pumped for. Mark Russell on Flintstones was amazing. He, uh, his religious commentary specifically uh, was really, really cool and sort of how uh, – you you look at uh, homosexuality and how you sort of look at your understanding perception of what belief is like those those uh those narratives. Pete, oh Pete, you read it? Yeah, right? yeah, Dude, I, yeah. I was a huge fan of the Flintstones, and um, I think like anybody who did read it will always point to the the social commentary being mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know that's the selling point of the, obviously the art's great, whatever. But um, yeah, I mean this is a super interesting. Uh, premise specifically for this writer. Like, yep. if it was somebody else, I might be less interested in it. But I, I know what he's capable of doing uh, with this kind of subject matter. So, um, the idea of of him like having a book that just focuses on that sounds great. I think I would share your enthusiasm, Marco. If this wasn't presented as a comedy, it seems like it's going to be very um, sort of jokey. And uh, I was looking forward to the idea of there being some uh, religious commentary, but I would like to see it presented with a more serious slant. And if this isn't going to be that, then I don't know how much I'll enjoy it, but I'm going to try it. I, I think it'll be satire. Yeah, exactly. That's very much his, his style. It's not so much like a comedy. It's, 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 it's that. It's satire. It's like commenting on it and like reflecting and being like, that's kind of silly. Yeah, and I think that was that was a line that Flintstones danced really well because it would have a lot of really sincere, heavy moments, but then there was also like a fair amount of like, um, there was a good amount of humor, but it was just often dark, you know, like mm-hmm. or or like or uh, yeah, or black comedy, whatever you want to call it, but like just that kind of, um, I don't know, just like a little bit more sinister, you know, and I could see this veering into that. Like, that sounds like a goofy elevator pitch, but um, I don't know. I, I, I'm I glad you're going to give it a shot. I think you'll find something to enjoy. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to end up picking up quite a few of these. Um, Pick up all of these. Cool. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, um, I'm down to give all of the at least the number ones a shot. Yeah. And see if they grab me. Sounds like we got a Vertigo episode. I would definitely do that. Let's fucking do it. Well, they're they're all coming out several weeks and months apart. So, uh, all right. Well, <laughs> thanks a lot. A thanks a lot, Vertigo. We said we're doing a Vertigo episode. <laughs> I don't know. Just in general, like I, you know, I I like to give credit where credit's due. Where like I I just love that DC is continuing to make moves like this, you know, and like trying to diversify their offerings and create new new ideas, give opportunities for creators to you know have. Um, series like this under the DC banner rather than going to an image or somewhere else um, is great for DC. So Yabba, I'm glad to see Yabba them do more dude. of this shit. I love agreeing with you. Oh, no, don't say that, dude. <laughs> That's sad. <laughs> they better be careful. Uh, otherwise, they're going to draw the ire of the DNC crowd. Especially with titles like these. Um, DNC crowd. So GameStop, Diversity in Comics. Oh. oh, the Democratic National Convention. That's what I was Kill thinking. Of, so I, I was yeah. like, I, I don't. I heard DNC. I heard DNC. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, so I was like, like DNC. Sorry, Sean, I heard What's you. this got to do with Bernie Sanders, <laughs> man? <laughs> Bernie, <laughs> Bernie would probably like this. I don't. 
<laughs> Diversity is good for comics. <laughs> that one could use some work, Phil. <laughs> you just throw it out there, you know. Yeah. We're workshopping though. I I think there's something there. How about how about you polish your turds before you bring them to the table, right? <laughs> I don't work for Marvel. Nope. <laughs> Oh, man. Oh, boy. Okay. <laughs> so, GameStop is going to start selling comic books. I mean, something's got to keep them from going under. <laughs> Bleeding yeah, cool. right. By selling comics, that's how they're going to save themselves. <laughs> Business saved. I mean, listen. Any plank of wood in a shipwreck. Ble- uh, Bleeding cool has learned that GameStop will start selling comics themselves directly in certain locations. Uh, there were some images that did leak um, that show comic books available for purchase through their system. Uh, most of them were Marvel and DC, but there were some some image and some Oni Press stuff there as well. Um, a major reason for this taking place is that James Parker, uh, who used to uh, own or Helm Hastings um, is now involved with GameStop. And over at Hastings, uh, one of the big things that they did that was successful was introducing comic books and collectibles uh, to their to their offerings. And that was a big success, even though they still ended up having to close just because the rest of what they were doing didn't work out. So Parker had the following to say. We are indeed getting into comics as a retail test forum. Comics are often a part of our promotional entertainment industry environment, including video games. We can learn from this tribal knowledge. Tribal knowledge? Uh, we have indeed partnered with Diamond to carry a small selection of comics in 40 stores utilizing their spinner rack. The comics are mostly from Marvel and DC, where they focus on key series and titles. This is just a small launch to bring comics to some of our collectible stores, as they fit with our with the current trend of collectibles that are performing in the market. Should this prove successful, we may consider rolling out to additional stores in the future, but plan to keep it limited to the spinner rack for the foreseeable future. Of course, you can expect to see some exclusive variants from us in the future. So, I think that's pretty cool. GameStop has been going down this road for a while with how much more they've been offering as far as collectibles and you know, comic book related things, Funko Pops, uh, Monopoly sets, various games. Well, like just a year ago, um, or maybe it was two years at this point, they bought Think Geek as well, which is like an online retailer that specialized in, you know, um, collectibles, but also like, you know, like, like goofy shit, like, like ice trays shaped like the Death Star and shit like that. You know, like you can, we've seen in recent years them trying to diversify their business um, because eventually physical games are going to die out. Yeah. So uh, they, this is a huge move. And I think um, it, it, whether or not it works in terms of helping GameStop bring their sales up, I think this is a great move uh, for comics. I think it'll help. It'll help bring more eyes, especially people who go to GameStop, Think Geek. I mean, they already offer a lot of comic book related stuff. This is right up the alley. This is a great move for us. Well, and especially especially in places where uh, stores like Hastings close down, you know, a place where I live for a while, uh, Pittsburgh, Kansas, middle of nowhere, Kansas. 
you know, Hastings was your only form of entertainment on a Friday night. Um, and there are 30 game stops there now. So that'll be a great place for those people to go buy comics. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I have a, I have a friend who lives down in, in Virginia and, um, she's like a, a weekly comic book reader, but has been really, really struggling because there isn't a comic book store that isn't like 45 minutes or more away. Um, so yeah, I think trying to hit key markets, uh, where there are people who are potentially interested in this content, um, through a chain that is, you know, extremely, uh, pervasive makes sense. And, um, I think to Sean's point, I don't know how much it's going to help GameStop, but it could be really good for the industry. I am a little wary of the sort of way he phrased it in lumping them in with the collectibles and lumping it in with the sort of novelty items. It didn't feel like it's the sort of and, and again this is a test and they you know they're just trying to see how it works in the market but still the the way they approached it to me was sort of uh not not like disingenuous but just kind of like throwing stuff at the wall and not really making it a sort of thing they'd want to sure they're going to roll it out but not a thing they want to push i mean it kind of sounds I think it is that. I think it is them throwing shit against the wall and being like, maybe this will work. But but in the sense of like it being like, sure, we'll throw this against the wall, but let's like let, let's try to push it out there and make it something that isn't a novelty item that isn't like one of those things you got to walk in and be like, oh, sure, I'll pick up a thing, like an issue or something. It's like you want to try to engage them and bring them back, right? Yeah, I, mean, I think it's really going to depend on how well it does. Like, I think that's the thing because I think, I think they are in a, a point of just trying to see what sticks and like, you know, if this is successful, I think you will see that. I think you'll see them double down and, and actually advertise uh, GameStops as a place where, com- like, you can go for comics. It's a destination. But I think for the time being that it is probably just going to be more of a novelty thing of, like, hey, you're here to pick up, you know, the new Spider-Man game, right? Why don't you get a Spider-Man Funko Pop that came out with it and grab the new issue of Amazing Spider-Man while you're at it? I think that is going to be the tack that they're going to take uh, for the time being. And... You know, maybe that makes sense. They're a video game store, you know? Like, they're not a comic shop yet, but they could be. That's why they're renaming themselves to Geekstop. I mean, we'll see. I don't know that that's a bad idea. Yeah, the thing the thing that makes me sort of worry about this is exactly the comparison to Hastings. Um, I uh, Hastings was founded uh, in Amarillo, where I'm from originally, and... Um, throughout like my life i watched them sort of go from like all-purpose entertainment store to just fun co-pop novelty collectible just anything they could make sell make money with fucking please just let us keep the lights on just anything please dear god and that 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 makes me sweat a little bit for gamestop yeah, I bet. I mean, like that's that's the reality of of GameStop. Like, honestly, I think the only reason GameStop is really in existence anymore is because uh, console makers need a place to sell. I can console. I can sell back my you know? game, man. I need um, to make three bucks. Huh. <laughs> huh. Well, that's that's the thing, right? Is like there there is an audience that's engaged with that, but I feel like that being the predominant way that people buy and uh, sell games or whatever is kind of come and gone. Um, we see digital become a bigger part of the market every year. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think those concerns are unfounded, Kale. I mean, I don't think they would have bought Think Geek if they didn't see the need to diversify their offerings. And the reality of it is, like, you, you don't need to look to uh, any um, 
uh, to a comparison further than the music industry, right? Where like we saw the max democratization of content through digital distribution or online downloads or things like iTunes. And eventually the product really became the t-shirt and, you know, the beer cozy or whatever other fucking thing you can sell to try and make your buck. And uh, I, I don't think that Ga- GameStop's going to find themselves in that position more and more over the next several years. Um, you can, you know, guarantee it. All right. So for our main topic today, we're going to be talking about Amazon, which is weird because Amazon traditionally. Are we, the e-commerce pals? Well, I, Amazon wait, is traditionally. Uh, I'm looking to go to space what? because I just have so much money. What am I going to do with it? I date a pop star, create a flamethrower. I don't know. Jeff Bezos Wait. is not Elon Musk. It was an Musk. Elon Musk yeah. joke, sorry. <laughs> no, it was a joke. It was a joke, you guys. It was a joke. It was a hot topical joke, you know, because he's nope. an eccentric yep. billionaire. So, so, so we're talking about Wonder Woman? You got the wrong Jesus one, Christ. jackass. <laughs> no, God, you guys suck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so the reason we're talking about Amazon is because Comixology are getting into the creator-owned comics game. Uh, Comixology is going to be publishing Comixology Originals, which, uh, to start with, they're going to be four creator-owned titles that are available to read right now for members of uh, Amazon Prime, Kindle Unlimited, and Comixology Unlimited, and are also available for purchase through those same um, outlets. So the titles include Savage Game, created by NFL player Ryan Khalil. Uh, written by Sean Kittleston and art by Chris B. Murray. Super Freaks from writers Elsa Chariter and Pierrec Collinette with newcomer ar- artist Margot Sautel. Uh, Elephant Man 2261, The Death of Shorty from writer Richard Starkings and artist Alex Medellin and Boo Cook. Is that Elephant Man or Elephant Men? Elephant Men. Oh, okay. That, oh, yeah, that's, oh, okay. A good, that's a decent series. I said, so they're picking that series up? Don't know. Like, Elephant Men's going to be published by Amazon? No, no this is, so right. whatever this is, is creator-owned. Um, so. Well, that's a, it's a creator-owned, it's, yeah, it's by an Image, image right? Was an, oh, okay. was an Image book. It was. Right, right. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah. And then huh. Ask for okay. Mercy, which is also from Richard Starkings, and newcomer artist Abigail Jill Harding. So... There's there's a bunch of, you know, different information about these books and what they're going to be about. This conversation that I want to have really isn't about that. Um, Savage Game is available through print exclusively through Amazon.com print on demand. Uh, and they're doing that for several of their of these titles. Um, so Chip Mosher who is the head of content at Comixology, said the following. We're proud to offer these creator-owned titles where creators keep their IP rights and are motivated to bring their A-game to the benefit of readers everywhere. Helping bring bring these incredible titles to fans lets us experiment with different release strategies like a binge-style drop of a whole series, high-quality print-on-demand, and day-and-date inclusion in Prime Reading, Kindle Unlimited, and Comixology Unlimited. Now... This is not all that's coming. There's going to be a second wave that's going to include creators like Tyler Crook, hey. uh, Christian Donaldson, Alti Fir- Firamensai, Saya, uh, Sam Humphreys, 
Uh, Megan Kearney, Cal McDonald, Hope Nicholson, Mike Norton, M.K. Reed, Mark Sable, Tim Seeley, C. Spike Trotman, Jen Vaughn, and Magdalene Visaggio. Uh, so we're going to wow. get more announcements from San Diego Comic-Con 2018. Now, this is not the first time that Comixology has been involved in this. However, when they did it originally, it was mostly licensed content, like Adventure Time stuff and um, and Valiant comics. Well, yeah, and like they have a creator-owned submit. I think it's called Comixology Submit. Like Panels was part of that. Right. And I think this is more of a curated situation where instead of they, they instead of taking in submissions from creators, they're finding creators to bring into the fold. That's what this reads like to me. Okay, so in- now, instead of instead of offering like the the digital platform of Comixology, it's it's actually going out and seeking talent for in, ad- original in addition books. to though. Yes, well, in addition to, this is the Comixology imprint, yeah, if you will. Yeah. This is, that's what this is. Now, my questions are the following, and there's actually another wrinkle that we're going to jump into after we talk about this, this initial thing. Uh, my question is, can Amazon, through Comixology, really step into the comic book space and become the third or fourth contender if you will depends on where you see image can they overtake image and become that third or you know will they just kind of hang out in the fourth spot do they shoot up that far ahead into the game when you're talking about amazon who have a lot of money potentially putting that behind creators who are top of the line doing what netflix chose not to do Netflix put their money behind Mark Millar. Amazon is saying, hey, we're going to bring on creators of the future. You know? If 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 Amazon puts their money where their mouth is on this, absolutely. There's no doubt in my mind. Amazon is a very well-run company. You could criticize... There's a lot to criticize in Amazon as far as business practices go and, and ethics. But they are a very shrewd company and if they really want to they there's no reason they couldn't be three or four on the comic book pie list of distribution and sales i think yeah i think four would be an easy get i think three would take some work but i think four would be an easy get it would take some doing i think you're right kale uh, i don't i don't know that i'm that bullish about it i um i i think that there's definitely a, a huge opportunity for success here um, this is something that I think, uh, like, we've all talked about on the show uh, quite a bit, but I think it's something that specifically Marco and I have talked quite a bit about, about finding new ways to um, deliver comics to new audiences. And I think, like, if anyone is poised to do it, it's Amazon. Like, Comixology is already an established platform. And um, and I think there's something to that, right? Like, making it that one step easier. I already use Comixology. There's these new books. There's no difference in my mind between them and and something from Marvel or DC. I know the names on the books. Like, that makes sense to me. But I think where it gets a little messed up for me is just because I think, like, comics are still so focused around the shop. And... That we, We've talked about that a lot on this show where there is no other industry or even entertainment medium really 
where to get your content, there's the expectation that you're going to go to a specialty store once a week. And I think this is obviously more convenient. There's still the possibility for you to get a physical book if you want that. But, like, is that visibility there for comics readers? You know, like, why, why are these books going to have more visibility than anything else if you're not already buying your stuff on Comixology exclusively? Or you're not actively engaged with Amazon as, um, you know like a distributor of products for you. Because I think there are a lot of people who have a casual relationship with Amazon where maybe they order a couple things a year. Um, I don't know that everybody is at, is like me where like you're a prime user and you get groceries and toiletries. And like there's a, a big segment of people like that. But is that enough to uh, to have a big a big market right away? And I, and I don't know if Amazon's going to put the money behind it because we thought they were going to do that with Comixology and they didn't. You know, they bought Comixology and if anything, they made it worse. Um, and I love Amazon. I'm not here to sling shit, but realistically, like if you were a Comixology user before Amazon's acquisition, I, there was a huge uh, outcry of people yeah. that complained with how they had changed the tools. They had made it less convenient, less easy to buy comics, less accessible. And I, I, I'm not super confident that this is going to be different than that. And I'm not saying that I think it won't be, but I'm not, I'm not like, oh, they'll easily be number four. Or they'll easily take image out. I don't know that they will. No, and you're um, right. If, if, if they don't invest the capital in it, then they won't. It, 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 it's, it's all conditional. But if they were to put the money where their mouth is, considering how, how visible Amazon is to such a wide swath of people, like you said, People use Amazon maybe once or twice a year, which is maybe still more than they use any other website for buying stuff. Uh, their reach is so far that even if they did like a little promotion thing where it's like, hey, you bought this, you get this comic, like just as a promotion, they could easily move up to four if they were to actually invest the time and capital into it. But your point about Comixology is true. And it's salient. If they if they, if it's something that it's to them as just a little side piece and they don't really give a shit, then yeah, it's nothing. But I mean, and to to say like to jump to like a fourth or even fifth position, even sixth, like the you have to also be aware that Amazon is just sort of a retailer in the space right now, and they're not like sure they'll bring this content out and sure they'll deliver it, but to even reach something like like right now fourth fourth position i would say is maybe dark horse and then it's idw and then it's uh boom and then it goes yeah. down it's like smaller things like like valiance i think like 10th or something like to even have like only like to even have to reach that level of visibility with the limited slew of books that you're going to be releasing and to sort of be playing on the fact that you how you're going to be delivering these new contents and within a a, a platform that is already sort of chagrined and people aren't necessarily so happy with it's going to be a stretch for them to sort of get into those uh, to get up into that position to get those sales right away i think with the proper money and with the proper sort of tactic um to your point phil they'll maybe that if they do apply themselves and they don't treat it as a side piece i'd give them maybe a solid 15th no Come well, on, the thing, fuck off. And my, no, and yeah. they have, have Amazon has more money than Marvel and DC put together. Like, but what does that matter with share? But what does that matter with when you have a share of market? You can you can throw as many. You throw you, more you, money. You're at only it. hitting, but you're only hitting the same number of people. Not you're, if you're, you're throwing more money a, at a, it. No, 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 no. 
but but like you we can't we can't just keep going back to the throw more money right. at it because that's not going that's not going to happen if the money isn't there. If, even if it's even if it's not there, like the market size and the people you're catering to is only like the monthly sales of Batman are max like 160, right? You're only going to be delivering to people within that audience of like let's say 300,000 people in the US, right? You're only going to be hitting the same people with the same content and you're not going to ha- you're not going to be expanding it past that. You're going to be hitting in this That's that's where I differ here. Hold on, hold I, on. Let Kale go. You're also talking about a, a very wide swath of creators that Sean listed, Tim Seeley, Hope Nicholson, a, a slew of other creators. And if they play all of these creators right in this second wave, that'll bust this wide open. I think I think Marco's point about audience size is still a salient one though because like there I, I I think that like there's something to be said about there only being so many people that are actively interested in buying comics in a month and like I don't I I don't think there's any reason to believe that they're going to be able to cast that net so much wider than somebody like Image. That's why I think this. Uh, that's actually where I differ, and this is the point I was trying to make is that. As the market stands now, there's only so many people that buy comics. There's only so many people that spend a certain amount of money on a certain amount of comic books. If Amazon enters this market space, it has a wider general audience attached to it. That in a, It might be able to attract a more casual audience than Marvel or DC are because they're mired in dated, antiquated selling techniques. And Amazon is clearly much more advanced with regard to how it distributes its own pro- products as a retailer. It, I, I can picture a scenario where Amazon is actually able to attract new readers in a way Marvel and DC and Image cannot. And they also are in a place where they could knock down the price of comics. Yes. And that's what Walmart does with its competitors. It sells things below market value to basically run a squeeze out on its competition because it can afford to. Well, Amazon does that too, right? Like that's, you know, the way that their distribution model works. I just, and and again, I don't, um, to just to play devil's advocate here, because I I think like the points you guys are making, I don't think are um, impossible or super off base. I just, uh, there's a lot of if statements to have those thens, you know what I mean? Like, and, and I don't, I don't know that, like, if Amazon can afford to bring sure. down the price, right? Because we can say, like, sure they can, and Amazon has all this money, but they're not going to just throw money into a pit because they want to altruistically make art. Like that, that's not. It doesn't. It like business doesn't work that way. I don't think that'd be the motivation, though. I think the motivation would be purely capital oriented. Like they would want to have the monopoly on comic books. Let me just jump in here really fast. So for for Savage Game, uh it's a 60-page original graphic novel, $5. Um <laughs> holy for, shit. Yeah, and then every single issue, every single individual issue is 2.99, which is $1 less than current market value for basically yeah. every publisher that exists. Yep. Sean, where are you on this? Um, I think that this is very likely to have an impact on the industry, uh, and a significant one because Amazon can do what it wants. Amazon is the bully in the playground that if they feel like they want to make money in (laughs) comics, 
and they feel like they want to change the way comics works to serve them, they can and they will and everybody will acquiesce. Yep. And they won't have a choice. Yep. yep. And yep. I have uh, – actually, this perfectly segues into the other element of this conversation um, because there's someone who's very unhappy with this move. Uh, and that's Fantagraphics associate publisher Eric Reynolds. He's spoken out in a series of tweets and has lambasted this move uh, as a blatant grab at strengthening its digital and print market using its inherent monolithic market advantages. So these are the tweets. If you value high-quality printing and diverse books, today's Amazon Comixology announcement is concerning. Amazon's print-on-demand offers exactly one paper stock option, two finishes, limited trim options, and paperback only. The business model is interesting. Create digital content that boosts Comixology's lagging performance and also provides a cost-effective print component that completely eschews comic book distribution and book trade. But the print component is inherently constrained by Amazon's print-on-demand technology, which isn't terrible within it, within its constraints, but is something that wouldn't work for 90% or more of what we publish. There's also the fact that this is a blatant grab at strengthening its digital and print marketing using its inherent monolithic market advantages, despite a real concern that this announcement shows little editorial or curatorial acumen. Amazon endgame here is clear. They eventually want their proprietary print-on-demand technology to fulfill as much consumer book demand as possible, and these exclusives are a way of conditioning comics fans to this process, so we as publishers will eventually conform our business. In other words, we're probably fucked, but we'll keep on doing our part. Now, the reason why I feel that this is so important is because here's someone in the in the actual industry who is very concerned about Amazon's reach and ability to change the way that we read comic books. So if he feels that way, I feel that way because he knows more than me. And in fact, Fantagraphics is a partner of Amazon's. So this is somebody who works closely with them in the publishing of their books who is saying that something is happening that's probably not good for us. So I happen to feel the same way. I, I completely agree with what Kale and Phil are saying and that if, and yes, it is an if statement, if Amazon decides they want the comics industry, they'll have it. Yes. That, the- that, secondary, that secondary comment, though, seemed more so like a almost from like a distribution standpoint so like a more it, it would affect the sale market more so than it would affect sorry the distribution market more so than it might affect the the sale side if that makes the, sense those two are correlated though yeah those are one to one well no 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 so like the the distribution as like the actual physical printing and the actual physical like like a competitor to diamond more so than a competitor to a Marvel or DC in that scenario. But the I think the the thing about this, and this is what I thought as I as I was listening to Sean say that, is so okay, so Amazon knocks out Diamond. There goes comic shops. Right. It's all yes, you, basically. it's all Amazon brick and mortar stores. And if you want comics and you want physical comics, you gotta go to the Amazon brick and mortar store and do their people list self checkouts and blah blah blah. 
and to add to that, what does that mean for Marvel and DC then? Does that mean they have to go through Amazon brick and mortar shops too? Like yep. Amazon completely <laughs> controls yeah, the distribution. It would. And also and, keep in mind <laughs> And those ahead. and those big two will fucking do it. Yeah. Diamond does not publish their own books. Amazon now does. On top of offering an alternative to Diamond, which how many people over the course of the last, I don't know, however long, have said we need an alternative to Diamond? Diamond right. is archaic. A- a- here's Amazon. And they well, publish their own books. And uh, just to to add to that, that side of the argument, um, his concerns about the quality of, of print stock and everything like that, I mean, if it really matters, how hard would it be for Amazon to make a second printing setting that they use specifically for comics or specifically for graphic novels, you know? And like, if the market really cares about that, one of two things will happen. People will stop buying physical comics and we'll just, we'll finally see a shift to a digital only market, which I think is, is probably inevitable yeah. at some point. Um, and maybe Amazon is the, the harbinger of that change. Uh, or Amazon sees the need that, okay, if we want to, compete in this space we need to have higher quality prints because people don't like the physical books that we're selling and and it's we're losing money on it and then it'll either be a thing of all our all our series are digital only and then maybe that affects their sales that affects their strategy you know what i mean like there's a lot of ways this can shake out but um if if amazon were to make the play like you guys are talking about put their money where their mouth is and actively try to not only not be a competitor to diamond but to drive diamond out of business maybe they can afford to spend a little bit more more money on the better print stock because they have marvel and dc and image and boom and dark horse in their pockets as well so uh, i have a few other thoughts here we haven't really touched on but um the one thing that Amazon has working against it from a publishing standpoint is the lack of IP recognition. Uh, while Amazon is a, a globally recognized company, DC and Marvel has a billion dollar worth of IPs. Like, look, look what Fox, Sony, Warner Brothers is willing to pay Disney for the rights to distribute, like, distribute those characters in films, right? That's something Amazon doesn't have yet, and that takes time and it takes an audience to build something like that. So that's that's one aspect from a publishing standpoint Amazon doesn't have really going for it. Uh, the other thought I have here is that I think of Amazon from the streaming service standpoint. And while it's not as big as Netflix or as big as Hulu, it's a massive presence in the streaming industry, and it got in much later than the other two. Um and Amazon's able to produce its own television shows and its own movies now and distribute other movies that weren't released theatrically because it, it can do that. Well, and I think uh, to build on that, I think the reason that they're able to do that is because of that thing you're talking about, about the just the pervasiveness of Amazon in that like I have Amazon Prime. I never fucking use it, but I have it because I pay for Prime, the actual service I care about. So if they can find a way to loop Comixology exactly. and these comics into yes. that in some way where it's like, oh, hey, you've already got that. It's another five bucks. I'd be like, OK, I have exactly. five dollars a year for this they or whatever on, yeah. or $20 or whatever it is. I just want to I just want to point out. Sorry. just want to point out. It's already available to read right, right yeah. now through Amazon. Prime. If you have Prime. Amazon is a really. Ruthless- yeah. Ruthless That's company. really smart. It it massively it massively hurts its employees by underpaying them. Uh, 
no benefits, stuff like that. It will cut all costs to just drive competitors out of uh, out of the market. Amazon is a ruthless, ruthless company, and Bezos will do whatever it takes to basically have a monopoly on 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 his market, whatever markets he's entering. That's Amazon. Well, and it's it's funny because um, I mean, like Amazon is also famously as a company like not been profitable for how long, you know, because like they're constantly willing to um, take a hit on the chin if they think that they can expand into a new market, you know, like the whole um, Echo, you know, Alexa movement thing. Um, that was the thing that like was a gamble, right? But they took money that could have just went right to the shareholders, could have made them look profitable finally. And we're like, well, let's reinvest in this new technology and find a way to become another thing where it's ubiquitous. When you think of yeah. voice-controlled home device, you think Amazon. That's right. In the same way that when you think online shopping, you think fucking Amazon. That's right. And look look what Amazon's done to companies like Walmart, like Staples, like Kmart and Target. They've completely had to transform. Those companies have to completely transform their business models to try to compete with Amazon because Amazon is driving a lot of these these department stores under because of what it's doing to the market. And this is my final thought on this uh, overall subject. But the only way I see Amazon not having a major effect on DC and Marvel is if it determines that comic books is just not a profitable industry to basically continue in. Yeah, I would agree. And and that's sort of my perspective on it is because it's such a small market to activate on what is the capital worth there and to your earlier point phil about ip recognition you know you 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 guys read creators who are like who write in marvel and dc but they also have other books outside of that right and so those those smaller publishers don't have the same permeance uh, again because of the awareness around them and sure amazon can bring that awareness up but it still sort of has the same the same effect or a similar effect at the very least of just like sure you're going to have these cool creators but like how many of those creators do you follow outside of marvel and dc and granted we're in, we're in the in the space that where we follow creators but how many of those readers who do read tim seeley in marvel and dc or who do read tyler kirk in marvel and dc are actually going to go out and not read a Marvel DC book with those people's names on it. Well, all it takes is for them to sign a Rick Remender or an Ed Brubaker or somebody like that to an exclusive deal. Brian Michael Bendis. Because, because <laughs> I, I mean, look at Netflix. Netflix signed one guy, Mark Millar. They put, they put their money behind a guy. And we don't know how it's going to work out. Books aren't out yet. But they felt like that was a good bet. Amazon just rolled out several people who are top talents, and this is only the second wave. There's no, there's no doubt in my mind that if Amazon comes to the realization, hey, you know what? I really like that saga there. Let's get, let, let's get that creative team. Let's get Vaughn for something. Let's let's bring him. You think that's not going to affect the industry if if Brian K. Vaughn has an exclusive comic that only comes out through Amazon? That's a big I, I, deal. To go. Marco's point, though, I, I think it is. I think it is a big deal, but I don't think it's as big a deal as we think because I think we are the market that pops for something like that. And I think there are so many people 
Um, even some of my own friends that are activated comic readers. Like I, I mentioned my friend earlier, who is a person who goes to the shop every Wednesday. She buys new number ones. She's not the kind of person who follows creators in the way that we do. You know, where it's like there are certain people that she really knows that she really likes, but it's it's not you you follow names, you follow titles, you follow series, not people the characters. In this industry. The yeah, comic characters book, even, right? The comic book industry has changed a lot, and I don't think that that is an absolute truth anymore. And I think the the the, the way you can know that for a fact is when you look at the exodus of top tier talent from Marvel to Image over the last 10 years. Those creators are making a lot of money not writing for the big two. They don't have to because people sure. follow them. And and they could sign exclusive deals with, for example, Amazon, just like Mark Millar just did through Netflix, make a ton of money, put out really high-quality exclusive books, and create reasonable competition. And in that, in that same in that same vein, all it takes is one movie TV deal, you know, oh, Matt Fraction gets a Sex Criminals TV show, boom, there's a whole new audience. Mm. Yep. And, and I, I think that's true, and I guess this is the final point I want to leave it on, is, like, for me anyway, that I, I don't think that you guys are wrong, but I, I guess where this uh, trepidation to be so in, in line with that line of thinking for me comes from is um, you look at, like, image, right? who is, I think we can all agree, the number three, right? Um, Image doesn't have the name recognition that Marvel and DC have. Uh, And and I think, like, Marvel as a brand means something in a way that um, even DC maybe doesn't to a broader audience. Like, you think Marvel and you know there's this big banner of characters underneath it, whereas, like, you know, I've had, like... Uh, unactivated fans be like, oh, right, is, like, is Batman in that universe? No, right? And not everybody is aware of that shit. When it comes to Image, most people don't know what Image is. They know what The Walking Dead is. They might know what Saga is. Um, they might even know what Sex Criminals is. But they don't know, they don't necessarily know what Image is or what Image means or what Image's, like, MO is. And I, I, I don't, I know Amazon doesn't have that problem. But I think the point that Phil made about IP, making new IP relevant in comics often has to do with an adaption, less so than a comic. Well, something you said, Pete, uh, uh, spurred another thought in me, is that while Marvel and DC aren't as wealthy as Amazon, Time Warner and Disney have a lot of capital behind them as well. And if they really wanted to, they could mobilize their books to try to their, their comic book divisions Absolutely. to try to be a little more competitive with Amazon. I don't know how that would shake out. That's a little over my head. Well, the thing, I, and, go ahead, Marco. Sorry. I, I was just going to, with responses to what you, something you said, Sean, with like following the creators and following the, like the names, even though, you know, writers and artists have found success outside of the mainstream DC, uh, or, or, or Marvel, just outside of the big two, the big two still make up 80% of that. 80% of those people still go back to that. So sure, the creator, on the creator end, you can make money elsewhere in, in an image and a boom and whatever, but they still make up 80% of that. And you're that's the, a small audience to to leave. And that's a small audience that would be willing to even go to a comicsology on top of the books that they, that they do follow and have. I think the, 
the numbers you're presenting are accurate, but there's missing information. So everybody who's involved in comics right now that publishes books is still playing the same game of we publish through Diamond. Uh, we promote our books poorly. We, you know, there's like a lot of problems with the comic book industry that Amazon won't have because they don't have to do that. They can, they, oh, uh, Diamond sucks. We'll publish our own books. Uh, nobody knows our comics. All right. Well, we'll get creators that people know and love and we'll pay them money to produce their next hit through us and not through Image. Uh, Image doesn't have brand recognition. Amazon does. You know, like, and also, what is the margin for success in this space? Image is considered to be successful in their way, right? Amazon doesn't have to do a lot to necessarily be successful in this space. Uh, if they want to take over Marvel or DC, that's a different conversation. And that's where the brand recognition really matters. But if you're just talking about being the third or the fourth, it doesn't take a lot because comics aren't big enough anyway for it to take a lot. And if you, t if you, if you make a movie about sex criminals or a movie about criminal by Ed Brubaker or this or that or the other thing, and you publish that thing through Amazon and people love that and they want to read about it, you have a walking dead hit, walking dead level hit on your hands. It's over. That's all it takes. And Amazon can produce those ad nauseum because they have the money to do it. And they can expand that market share by adding more people because they're Amazon. But the name isn't Amazon. The name is Comixology. Well, it's, you know, it's Amazon. So who knows comic? Who, who knows that? But who knows that Comixology? No, no. But like, like outside but of that. The, the name isn't Marvel. It's Disney. Like... Six of one, dude. No, like, no, no, no. But people, but people know Marvel. It's not the people same. know DC. People don't know Comicsology. People know Amazon. You know Warner Brothers. You know Disney. You know Marvel. If, you know. if Amazon wants you to know the name Comicsology, you'll know the name Comicsology. Sure, but that's that takes thing, time. They do that want you to know it though, and they own it, and they haven't done anything with it. And I think like right. that's just. But you yourself you know, that, made the point that no one knows Image, right? But it doesn't matter sure. because Image Books sell as well as they need to for image right so sure. what does it matter if people don't know comicsology if they know ed brubaker or rick remender or this one or that one who then come on board and can be successful again it doesn't take a lot to be successful in this space if we're only talking about success on the level of image the creators are what matter at image not the name image Whereas it's the exact opposite at Marvel. They could publish shit and people would still buy it. We know this to be true. So See, I I, I guess just the one counterpoint I have there is I don't I don't agree that creators' names matter as much to non hyperactivated comics fans. But no one like, I, I no one goes to the comic book store and goes, Gosh, I really want to read a new like image comic. People go to the comic book store. I think store, people do do that. Yeah, like Me. you okay because you but we're we're not talking about us, right? The whole point of this conversation is not us. No one no one outside of activated people like us go, gosh, that that new image, right? I can't wait. They might not even know that who published this. They just know this, right? Like I I think my experience is anecdotal because I do have friends that are like that. You know, and like, and, and I, I, I imagine that there are a contingency of fans who are activated enough to want to, like, that read some comics, but aren't diehards, you know? Like, I, I don't think that's crazy. Like, I think there are probably a lot of casual readers who read Saga, 
right? But and and no image because of Saga or whatever. But don't know who Brian K. Vaughn is. Well, you guys are making two arguments. Then you're make, you're making two two arguments at the same time that contradict each other. Either the name matters or it doesn't. It either the name image matters to people or it doesn't. So are you saying it, it does doesn't. or it doesn't? Marco's saying it I, doesn't. Peter's saying it does. No, I'm I'm just saying I think it depends, like, and that's my point. Is like I don't I don't think it's this much of a straight line. Like, and I think like it really depends on what level of comic reader you're talking about. You know, because okay. there's like the super casual, there's the mid level person who buys a few books a month, and then there's the deeply activated people that are on Twitter and know everybody's names and this and that. You know what I mean? Okay. Like there are levels of fan. Here's a here's a simple way to have this argument. What matters at Marvel? The name of the creator on the book or the name Marvel? To, for Marvel, Marvel to be doing well. Marvel, right? We all Marvel. agree to that? Okay. Okay. If Image had the same quality books as people believe Marvel to have, right? Like if, if Image books just sucked, right? Would Image still be a company? Okay. That's my point. It, that, that what matters is the quality of the books. What people stick with that image is the people who write and create the books because the books are good and it doesn't matter at Marvel and DC. So all Comixology and Amazon have to do is produce really good books that people are activated by and invested in and that will change the game. That will make them a competitor. And that low price point. Yeah, and the low price point. So my last point is in response to Phil and Sean, you guys said that they, they want to expand that audience, but like if if they're trying to expand to an audience that doesn't know an image and it doesn't know a boom, why would they know a comicsology within what once they enter this once they enter this market out like sure shooting out of a couple years, they'll know the name, but on off the on the onset, why are they gonna know a comicsology over an image or any other publisher if you're trying to expand outside and reach people and expand your audience to an audience that doesn't know the intricacies of the actual industry they know marvel and they know dc i i don't think they will i don't think they'll care you don't you don't hook people by a name you hook people by a premise so you're you know you take your take your weatherman right oh it's a story about a weatherman on mars Boom, well, Amazon book. Hook me in because it was image, though. There's there's two things here. There's two things at, at play. A big part of it is a fervor for it. it. Look at Walking Dead. That blew up because people there was a buzz. Things like TV. that. And the second oh, – and Amazon can do that. They can adapt something that they're publishing into a TV show on Amazon Prime. And adapt and it well. that a similar buzz. The second thing, which Kale has mentioned recently, is the price point. If you can just sell massively under market value with a cool premise that has a little bit of buzz, you're going to be able to attract new people that don't know anything about comic book writers, artists, or don't they don't give a fuck about this stuff except maybe they see the MCU movies and they enjoy them, or they watch Walking Dead on TV, or any other myriad of shows that are on the CW or Netflix, whatever. They can easily they this stuff is trendy right now. And if you're a person who is the most surface level person who does not give a shit about comics, but it's like, wow, two bucks, like a dollar for this? For, sure. And I can just read on, on my tablet while I take a shit? Okay. I, I just don't, I don't believe it works that way. Like from, and again, like it's anecdotal, like, but I did a, I did a, a, 
a thing in college where I interviewed a bunch of comic book store owners to talk about like the spikes that they see in readership after a thing comes out. And it's like, I, I don't think it's that one to one, you know, Pete, this is different than that. You're still thinking like that, like Amazon is not concerned with brick and mortar stores. They don't That's care true. about those, what those people. And also, and also how, how long ago is that? Like even two or three, even two or three years ago, that was a long time ago in, terms of technology in terms of publishing yeah i just i don't i don't think that somebody watches the marvel movies and then is like i'm gonna go read an original comic by some person i've never heard of that amazon's no but they i just i don't know that's that's not what i'm that's not what i'm saying i'm not saying like i think there's a i think there's still a discrepancy i don't think for for someone to want to read a marvel book after seeing an mca movie they have to do several things they have to either go to a comic book store or like a target or a barnes and noble they have to go on Amazon, eBay, any of these websites and order something for a lot of money because they aren't cheap. Like they, they have to – there's more effort. With Amazon, if it's just an attachment with Amazon Prime for – and it's just part of it, you're just giving it. That's true. That's true. There's no effort. You, you have it. The, the only issue I want to bring up and just sort of segue out of this uh, – and it's it's something small that we don't necessarily have to talk about because I don't know how it works necessarily. But um, with that lower price point, um, and we do already sort of see this with buying like Marvel and DC books on uh, Amazon or like the big, big sales that Comixology has, a lot of those residuals for like old books that are dirt fucking cheap don't always go to creators. Um. Oh yeah. So oh, that's yeah. uh that's also something to think about. How are how is that market gonna uh, affect the creators as well? Amazon might give contracts out with a base salary sum where they still make a, a, a reasonable income without the without the compensation of like sales necessarily. You know what I mean? They'll still take a hit, but I, I think this this yeah. this conversation could go on for a long time. Obviously, all five of us are very passionate about this. And the great thing about it, ultimately, even if it doesn't amount to a ton, is that I just listed off a list of great creators who now have more work opportunities. And that's the best thing that you can ask for in any kind of situation like this. All of these are super talented people. And if their books get in the eyes of more individuals, that's great for them, which ultimately is great for us. And so I'm happy with that. Uh, I do think that this is a story that's going to unfold over the length of probably several years. Um, and we won't yeah. really see the effects of, of wherever this goes for, for a little while now. Um, but I'm glad that we are talking about this on the outset because it, it, it could be it could be a dud, but it could also be a big piece of comic book history. So we'll see where it lands in the future. And uh, thank you guys for having a really, really robust conversation about this issue. Um, Hopefully you guys at home enjoyed it. Uh, And if you did, you can let us know in a ton of different ways. We are on Apple Podcasts where you can leave us a comment and a rating, depending on what you think we deserve. Uh, We are at the Comics Pals all over social media. So hit us up over there. You can write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com where you can talk to us about uh, this conversation that we just had about Amazon and Comixology or anything else we talked about on this or any other episode of the Comics Pals. 
You can write in with a random question of the week, a buy or sell, etc., etc. Last but not least, we're on YouTube, where you can drop us a comment, leave us a like, share this video with your friends, and subscribe to our channel if you haven't done that yet. It's a huge help. Even if you're an audio-only listener, swing on over to youtube.com slash thecomicspals and hook us up with that sweet subscribe. Now let's jump into some plugs. Pete. Thank you. All right. Thank you guys for joining us here on another episode of The Comics Pals. If you guys want to see some more content from me, you can catch me and Sean over on our sister show, The Video Game Pals. Uh, it's very similar formatted show, except we talk about video games. Uh, it is E3 season, finally. So uh, this week, instead of doing our normal recording uh, on Sundays for a Tuesday post, we're going to be uh, doing two specials, one where we cover uh, the first you know, two or three days worth of press conferences, and then another one later in the week we'll hit all the big dogs uh so a lot to look forward to i'm very excited to dig into it um so yeah go check that out if you're a gamer it should be a great time uh and also if you're a video gamer you can check out our uh, let's play show over on youtube.com slash the comics pals called pals play with me and thompson uh where we get together and play uh some video games for your enjoyment every uh monday through thursday so uh we just did some pokemon quests last week we did a little bit of mario tennis aces that was a great time uh so if you've got any suggestions for what you'd like to see us play you can hit me with them at loud underscore pete on twitter and instagram and uh yeah let me know what you want to see us do Video games. Guys, Woo! I know you guys are very excited for Pokemon. Let's go, Pikachu and Eevee. Can't wait. I, we, we joke. Yeah, I think it looks fun as hell. Uh, you can find me on uh, selfie.com slash panels publishing, where I have uh, a series called From the Deep about uh, kaiju monsters in Scotland. Um, you can uh, find us on Comixology, funnily enough, uh, under panels publishing. Um, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Toto Into. That's T O T O I N T O W. Marco, you can find me at Mr. Marco Animoto on Instagram and Twitter. Um, there was a recent uh, Kickstarter for Planetarium by uh, Chase Wyatt. Uh, really good series. I got the awards, um, the rewards for that, and they're going to be releasing. Uh, a collected edition um this was sort of a push so they can continue to print uh so if you guys want to back that really good series uh and really great art Ooh, actually uh we also i should have plugged this and i apologize for jumping all over yours marco but we uh did the last ep- episode of the riverdale review um and we had uh some of our favorite guests uh, uh gabby vanwelli olivia hicks and jeremy rodriguez uh and thank you for having me on and phil wasn't there <laughs> Um, Thank God to talk to talk about the season finale and the season as a whole. Um, and Gabby invited all of us to uh, participate in a uh, an article for the Nerd League on ranking our favorite characters uh, for the season. Obviously, Fred Andrews was the winner, um, so I'm so excited for that. <laughs> um, so uh, you know, we'll see. Uh, that that should come. I think that comes out on Monday. Is that right? Is that what she said? That comes out on Monday. Yeah. So, so yeah, yeah. yeah but, so by the time you're listening to this, you should be able to go click over to it. Maybe we'll throw it in the link uh, in the description down below. Phil, boy, this has been a big year for me, guys. Jessica Jones season two came out. I just took over Superman, and that's been a real big change. And uh, Spider Man into the Spider Verse coming out in this uh, this winter. Boy, it's been a huge year. Anyway, if you want to follow me, you can follow me at Brian M. Bendis on Twitter. Uh, just keep up with all my latest haps. It's uh, some crazy stuff haps. going on out there. 
That was insanely random. All my apps. <laughs> What's your yeah, real plug? Uh, <clears throat> all right, so you can follow me at Cyborg Bebop on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, just tell me how Spider-Man is blue. You had to, you had to fucking clear your throat and change your character voice for that one. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Excuse me, I'm extremely method. I'm gonna send all my coworkers here on the comics pals a bunch of used contents. <laughs> oh man, and uh as for me, I am at Sean Soapbox on Twitter and Instagram. Let's talk about uh why Spider Man is red and why Phil <laughs> makes me blue. With that, comics pals signing off. Nice. Care, See you next week. Bye. Yabba dabba do. Oh. Yabba dabba don't. Yeah.